0: Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans from this undisclosed bunker. Here's your host, Tony Reed.
1: And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast, 23rd of October, year of 2017. We're going to get to some fun stuff like I promised, but sweet Lord Jesus, what a stupid freaking week to weekend that we had. It's going to start with a Wolf Blitzer sound effect about a subject that surprisingly hit the media briefly, but is still getting boycotted. But before we get to that, I got to hit the, the big thing, Jake Tapper. Los Angeles Times, more than 30 women come forward to accuse Director James Toback of sexual harassment. I've lost count of how many people in Hollywood are now accused of sticking their dick in the company, Inc. Without authorization. Not only for the company, but the person they're sticking their dick in. So it's just not looking good. It's just not looking good. I, I don't want that to get lost in the big stories we have up front. Which, some of you will be surprised, it's not Frederica Wilson and General Kelly. We're going to get to that. But the first one, I'm going to let Brian Cates just kind of tee this up for you. Here's a question for all the reporters out there. Tapper, Beckett Adams, Newsy, Roofbeats, Beats, Weagle. and a White House supposedly riddled with leakers, why didn't the reopening investigation of Uranium One scandal leak beforehand? Why was there no forewarning that the Uranium One Russia bribery scandal investigation was again underway the past 10 months? How come nobody knows the DOJ has been quietly, serendipitously gathering evidence for the case until the Hill reporter published it? A DOJ investigation into millions paid in bribes the U.S. government, including the Clintons, and not a word of it leaks out. Nobody in the media had a clue that this was going on? How is this missed? Why does not a single source in either the White House or DOJ alert the media the Trump admin is investigating the Clintons? Were reporters so fixated on Trump-Russia narrative sources do they try to tell them but were discounted? Or could it be news of an epic investigation never leaked because most of the leaks come out of the White House, DOJ, are fake to begin with? Nobody could tell the media because all the leakers are either making shit up, he says stuff up, Or being fed deliberate misinformation. Either way, it's clear that it's something you would expect to have leaked long ago. And then he put in an addendum. I seem to recall some guy telling the media this directly. The leaks are real. The news is fake. And I hate to say it, but it is. As we highlighted on the last show, now we have more meat on the paper potatoes damning new evidence appears to show that hillary clinton used her office as of secretary of state to confer benefits to Russia in exchange for millions of dollars in donation to her foundation and cash to her husband but there's more it seems it was all covered up for years by the same three people who are now involved in the investigation of president donald trump over so-called russian collusion the incriminating evidence was uncovered by the hills john solomon and allison span neither of them conservative Their dogged reporting reveals the FBI gathered a multitude of documents, secret recordings, intercepted emails, financial records, and eyewitnesses' accounts showing the Russian nuclear officials directed millions of dollars to the Clinton Foundation and hundreds of thousands of dollars to Bill Clinton during the very time that Hillary Clinton was presiding over the governing body, which unanimously approved the sale of one-fifth of American uranium supplied to Russia. The corrupt scheme is said to have been financed by the Russia's Russians through bribes, kickbacks, extortions, and money laundering. The FBI and the Department of Justice reportedly had evidence in their possession before the uranium sale, but kept the matter secret and never notified Congress, which would surely have stopped the transfer of the uranium to Russia. Indeed, the entire sordid affair remains hidden for several long years until now. Is it crime to use a public office to confer a benefit to foreign government in exchange for money? That goes without saying, it is often to re- referred to as pay-to-play, and it's under the same statutes that she should have got nailed in for a million other things, but she didn't. And the evidence is as compelling as reported. A second special prosecutor should be appointed to determine whether Hillary Clinton and others should be indicted for crimes of corruption. The FBI evidence, if true, would seem to show that one or more of these illegal pay-to-play laws were broken. The government would have to prove that Hillary and Bill got paid, pretty easy, while the Russians got to play and prosecutors are required to show a quid pro quo or nexus between the payments and the benefit provided. But it appears the FBI already possesses all the evidence it needs to make a compelling case, and they're doing nothing. Simultaneously, an FBI informant was up there on the Russia, 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 and he was going to speak on this, and here's a reporter a liberal one,
2: speaking on that.
3: The Obama Justice Department threatened him with its loss of freedom. They said they would bring a criminal case against him for violating an NDA. His lawyer wrote wrote him about the Justice Department threats. In fact, she said in one email, Indeed, as you will recall, the government made serious threats sufficient to cause you to withdraw your civil complaint. In another, she said... I re- read your email and understand your frustration, but as you know, the government was taking a very harsh position that threatened both your reputation and liberty. Now, that is scary. All the information about this corruption has not come out, and so my client, the the same part of my client that made him go into the FBI in the first place and say, this is wrong, what should I do about it, is the same thing that's going on now with his personality. He's saying, Justice was not done. There was corruption going on, and it was never brought forward. And in fact, the sale of the the uranium went on, despite the government knowing about all this corruption in Uranium One.
1: Yeah. So we're blocking people from telling the truth. And this once again brings me to, was Russia, Russia a cover? Is this Benghazi all over again and IRS and all that stuff where we just cover stuff because it's election season. This Uranium One is huge. It's more than just conservatives talking about it now. The mainstream media has broadcasted absolutely zero minutes. CNN and MSNBC have broke broke it quietly and then buried it. But it looks like there's a lot of shit in here. So much show. so Cheryl Atkinson, the one that stays on top of these things, These allegations are more serious and specific than most have been tossed around in a year's worth of Russia, Russia, Russia. I'm deeply concerned, Cheryl, that the majors didn't have one second of airtime on this story. How can the American people know about it? Was another reporter talking to her. He's no conservative reporter. We in the media are damaging our own credibility when we filter out certain stories, but heavily push others that appear to have less basis in fact. Let's be fair. New York Times covered it, serious, then filtered to make it look like there was nothing there. There's, there's some smoke, but there's no fire. WAPO, nothing but smoke, no fire. New York Post, Team Obama, stunning cover up, cover up of Russian crime. And they break it down and pretty much show that once again, Obama was not scandalous. The hardest part about all of this, because today's big news is that her campaign manager brother is getting brought in on Russia One, Podesta, I think his name's Tony Podesta. The issue is Mueller is part of all of this. So Mueller's going after Trump and ignoring this, which brings up what conservatives are saying. Should Mueller be relieved? You think this would lead every night more than Russia, Russia, Russia because this is fact not fiction. But instead, per our usual media, you hear nothing about it, but you hear a fucking shitload Of Frederica Wilson. Before we get into Frederica Wilson, I really, really got to read a J.R. Salzman Twitter thread. And and I think it sums up how vets feel about all this. uh, Not staff, you know, freaking ramp vets who who are just as political as anybody else. um, in The civilian community, like, or would have brought out on TV. Those are the people here, like, you know, right check and heads up IAVA, you know, he's some rent fuck that likes to talk a lot and was part of the Kerry campaign, which I never understood. But he he hit this pretty good. Amazing to see those who basically cheered when a soldier died under Bush bring out the fainting couches for gold star families under Trump. You assholes never supported us under Bush. You cheered every time a soldier's death count ticker got higher on CNN. We were political ammo. You marched in your little anti-war protests. You threw fake blood on our recruiting centers. You protested outside Walter Reed every Friday. You shouted about the fierce sense of moral urgency to immediately end the wars and bring all the troops home. And then what happened? Then Obama got elected and you disappeared. You turned your back on the wars. Your protests were all for show. Fuck you and your politics. Do you think those of us who served have forgotten how you treated us? How you cheered for failure? We haven't. We never will. Fuck you all. Fuck you all. I agree with them 100%. And I want some facts to get out there. And I know it's going to be hard for you resistance members. But this is from the Rolling Stones. Afghanistan and Iraq under Obama. Under Obama, America's been at war for longer than any other president. Make sure that it hits home. Any other president. Everything's pinned on Bush. But we've started more wars under Obama than Bush. And we fought much longer under Bush. It was an endless war under Obama. Here are the numbers. 2,499 U.S. soldiers been killed under Obama. 1906 were in Afghanistan, 593 in Iraq. Under Obama, the United States has been at war for 2,687 days. That's longer than under Bush. Once again, Rolling Stones. I didn't make these numbers up. Obama bombed seven countries. Afghanistan and Iraq, you can blame Bush. But Pakistan, Somalia, Yemen, Libya, and Syria, that's three more than Bush. U.S. combat forces, combat forces are deployed on the ground in three countries. Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, that's one more than Bush. You didn't hear that when Philip Rucker and company broke. Johnson's mom tells WAPO Wilson was right. Trump did disrespect my son, my daughter, and also me and my husband. I'm not going to disparage the Goldstall family. Gold, gold Starf. I, I got a, like a Northeastern accent today. I don't know where the frick it came from, but it's happening. I'm not gonna say anything. They can say whatever the fuck they want. And as we'll get into the part about Kelly, Kelly can say whatever he wants too. He served his country. He fought in wars. He gave a son on the altar of freedom. But understand for you naive rubes who have never even met a soldier. And all you did was protest soldiers and wish you could burn your draft card and relive the 60s during the beginning of these wars. Because all that shit just was reminiscent of your fucking grandparents. What Trump said, in eloquently, I'm sure, is what we say. You know what you signed up for. You serve because you want to serve. He is going out of his way to call every fallen soldier. And I will bet you there is not a goddamn chance in hell Obama knows the 2,499 deaths under his watch. But he went out to do it. Before I play the media, I want you to think for a second. If you had a loved one in war... Do you think your representative would be in the car when you go to pick up the body? Do you think that's even plausible? Do you think Frederica Williams would be there if Obama was the president? Do you think Frederica Williams or Wilson even knows where the fuck Niger is? And that Barack Hussein Obama sent the troops there. Do you think CNN, MSNBC, and all the people you're about to hear even knew that? Do you think John McCain did? Because he asked to fucking speak to the Pentagon. He wanted reasons why we're there. What's the reason we're fighting? Do you think any of this is plausible under Obama? That any of this would happen? president of the united states was doing a nice gesture but even now this nice gesture can't happen because you have the politicization of the left trying to make him the devil on everything he does and the statement he said is the statement soldiers say it was fed to me i fed it to other people when i was a platoon sergeant going to war it's time to earn your paycheck that's what we were there for to fight the nation's wars But understand, before you get pulled into this net of pain and suffering that the media is trying to make out of this, why the fuck was Wilson in the car if this isn't a political show to begin with? Why was she there if she wasn't there to politicize the death of a fallen hero? You won't hear that in this very lengthy soundbite.
4: I know this is the first time that you're hearing the president's tweet read to you. So when he says that you've totally fabricated what he said to the wife of the soldier and he has proof, what's your response? Well, I I don't
5: know what kind of proof he could be talking about. Uh, I'm not the only person that was in the car. And um, I have proof, too. This man is a sick man. Uh, He's cold-hearted, and he feels no pity or sympathy for anyone. This is a grieving widow, a grieving widow who is six months pregnant. This is a young woman. She's only 24 years old. She weighs maybe 110 pounds, and she has two other kids, two years old and six years old. And when she actually hung up the phone, she looked at me and said, he didn't even know his name. Now, that's the
4: worst part. So, Congressman, let's talk about that. What did you hear? Tell us about this phone call.
5: Well, I, I didn't hear the whole phone call, but I did hear him say, I'm, I'm sure he knew what he was signing up for, and uh, but it still hurts. So that's,
4: that's how you interpreted it. You interpreted it as the president saying something callous in that way. Obviously, it can be heard lots of different ways. Um, it could be heard as the president trying to find some point of understanding to speak out to the widow how did she hear it what was her response
5: she was crying it it she broke down and she said he didn't even know his name
4: so did you hear that part did you hear the part where where it left the impression that he didn't know his name
5: she she heard the part that he didn't know his name and i don't think we should be trying to uh go into all of this what what the concern is we have a a soldier who pat, who died from miami gardens and uh... There are so many circumstances surrounding his death that i still have questions
6: and the president has now made those phone calls to those families of the fallen in niger one of the troops killed in action was sergeant le david johnson whose widow spoke with the president by phone yesterday she was in a car traveling to meet her husband's remains when the president called two weeks after her husband's death She spoke to the president on speaker phones surrounded by family and her congresswoman, Florida Democrat Frederica Wilson. And congresswoman Wilson joins us now from Miami. She recounted that phone conversation to reporters yesterday saying the president told the fallen soldier's widow that her husband, quote, Knew what he signed up for, but I guess it still hurts. Congressman, thank you for being with us. If you could uh, just recap what exactly happened yesterday, you're, you're in the car uh, with Miss Johnson there. The president calls; it goes up on speakerphone. And what did you hear from the president?
5: Well, exactly what you said. But that's not the worst part. She was crying the whole time, and when she hung up the phone, she looked at me and said, "He didn't even remember his name." That's the That's the hurting part.
6: And and so I think what's made some headlines is that the the line that you recounted from the president saying that uh, Sergeant Johnson knew what he was getting into when he signed up. What was the tone and the tenor from the president in those particular comments?
5: He was almost like joking. He said, well, I guess you knew he something to the fact that he knew what he was getting into when he signed up. But I guess it hurts anyway. You know, just matter of factly um that this is what happens anyone who is signing up for military duty is signing up to die and uh that's the way we interpreted it and And it was horrible it was insensitive it was absolutely crazy and unnecessary i was livid
6: was that sergeant johnson's widow's read of the call also was she upset by it or are you speaking for yourself she
5: was in tears she was in tears and she said he didn't even remember his name
4: uh... congressman it's it's catty Kay here obviously we haven't heard uh... directly from mrs johnson she's going through an awful lot this conversation has become intensely politicized uh... first from the president but now do you think you have any qualms about From your point of view as a Democratic Congresswoman also politicizing this conversation, is it right that you are speaking out about what was a conversation between Mrs. Johnson and the President?
5: What what I'm really concerned about, and I wrote a letter to uh, General Mattis about the circumstances surrounding his death. I'm not trying to politicize what the President said. That letter went out long before the conversation. I have a real concern because I have been fighting Boko Haram for over three years in the Congress of the United States ever since they kidnapped 274 schoolgirls from a private school in Nigeria so bring back our girls is my project in the Congress of the United States I've passed bills I have been working with Nigeria I've traveled to the region and for uh, Le David to be from Miami and a part of my mentoring program, the 5,000 Role Models of Excellence from a little boy, and to travel to the area where I have been fighting and to lose his life, why my goodness, I was out of my mind. So I want answers surrounding his death. I want to complete investigation as to what happened to him. Why was he missing for 48 hours? Why was he in an unarmored car? Why didn't they have appropriate weapons? Boko Haram is the most dangerous terrorist group in the world they burned babies and used little girls as suicide
4: bars. Congresswoman, you're quite right, there needs to be an investigation to this and there's been far too little coverage of this and now the Pentagon is going to have an investigation into how um, those four soldiers died and there should be more information. What I'm asking you specifically is, are you complicit in politicizing this conversation around the deaths of fallen soldiers?
5: Someone asked me a question. Did you hear the call? Tell us what you heard. I told them what I heard.
6: Yeah, Mark Halperin.
7: That's
5: not that's not politicizing anything. That was my constituent.
6: Yeah, Mark Halperin. I am, Congresswoman. Thank Mm -hmm. you for spending spending part of your time helping comfort this family that sacrificed for America. I'm wondering what you either knew before or have learned about about Sergeant Johnson that that you can share with people about what kind of person he was.
5: Sergeant Johnson was wonderful. He was smart. He was athletic. He's married to the most wonderful woman who has two children and she is with a child. They are devastated. He was raised by his lovely aunt and uncle. He has two younger brothers, and they all came through the 5,000 Role Models of Excellence project. (laughs) One of them is in college at Florida International University in engineering. The other one is in the 5,000 Role Models of Excellence Fire College. He's going to be a firefighter. And we have started a scholarship fund for his children, for his two that are living, and for the one yet born. And already we have reached $150,000 in one day. We're asking you to give. It's the like David Johnson Scholarship Fund Go Fund. And uh, he was just, just a wonderful young man. You know, in my line of work with a mentoring program, a dropout prevention program, an alternative program, I lose a lot of young black boys every year to crime in the street. But when a community like mine has a hero that we can lift up and celebrate and love, that's all we care about. We're so proud of him and everything that he has accomplished. He died as a sergeant. He died as a hero. There are not many black, green, Berets in the yes. military. So we are so proud of him. And Mr. Trump was extremely insensitive right. to that family, and I will stick by that. I'm not trying to politicize it. but. Oh, I think
6: com-
8: it was a disgrace. We completely understand. It was a disgrace. I
6: completely understand. Congresswoman Frederica Wilson of Florida, thank you so much for your time this morning, for your support of Sergeant Johnson's family, and again, let's turn this into a positive. As you said, Maisha Johnson is going to need a lot of support. She has a six-year-old, two-year-old. She's six months pregnant, another child on the way. So that GoFundMe page again, La David Johnson, look it up and donate if you can. Congresswoman,
2: no, I really don't want to get political. But I, I think that there could have been a little more compassion for this woman who just lost her son. Those words, well, you know, that's what he signed up for, um, are not the words that she wants to hear at this time. Uh, That was Paul Monty, the father of Army Sergeant First Class Jared C. Monty, killed in Afghanistan. That was back in 2006. Uh, Back now with my panel, Uh, Simone, I understand you're having some technical difficulties, so we'll wait to get to you. What's your reaction to that, Ben?
9: Uh, Look, I don't know what was said on this conversation. I don't know if he was saying that, you know, he signed up to serve this country and this is what they signed up to do to go around the world,
8: and unfortunately it cost him his life. I don't know the whole conversation. I know what the politics of this are, and I know what people are trying to turn this into politically. Well, my reaction Bottom was to the father
9: is, of was the a co- Gold
2: Star father that... Right, and he's responding
9: story. to a report from a congressperson who is obviously <coughs> turning this into a political issue, and I think that's
2: wrong. Bukhari?
9: Well, I, I
10: think that part of the concern that many of us have is that it was 12 days that went by, um, and Donald Trump tweets about everything from Jamil Hill... NFL players, everything under the sun, but didn't even mention uh, these four uh, Green Berets who were killed in Niger. Um, And then the first thing that he invokes is Barack Obama. So I guess to Ben's point, to push back and just say that he was patently incorrect in that assessment, uh, is that, you know, the president was the one who inserted politics into this. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of sick and tired of trying to figure out where the bottom is for Donald Trump. I mean, he's made deplorable statement after deplorable statement after deplorable statement. This is the same person who talked trash about POWs and Gold Star families. So he really doesn't have any moral compass when it comes to talking about our armed service members who uh, give up and pay the ultimate price, especially someone who had multiple deferments. But what I do want to focus on is those individuals who gave their life. This young man who we're talking about, uh, his wife is pregnant. He has a child, two children. Um, and so I hope that people go to uh, look at Jake Tapper's Twitter, look at Michael Skolnick's Twitter, and actually donate to uh, his scholarship fund. That we that uh, it's a legitimate scholarship
2: fund that's been set up to make sure his kids can get and, educated. And there's also and there's a GoFundMe. There's, there's a GoFundMe as well. That's it. Is it? And you're looking at it. It's, uh, the goal is $100,000, and it's 68050 uh, dollars now. So, but listen to to the point. The four soldiers were killed in Niger, but he deflected by talking about the former president not calling families or even... And this gold star father just came on and said, that's completely not true. The Obamas were the most compassionate people to them when they, he called him on the phone. The former president called him on the phone. He says he doesn't understand, Mike, why this president uses that as a deflection when it's not true.
10: Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I agree, actually, with a lot of what Bakari said. And this whole topic kind of makes me sick to my stomach, to be honest with you. I'm sick for these families. As a military brat, I have the utmost respect for them. And for them to get involved in politics, for us to even having a discussion about this is terrible. I think the president brought some of it on himself, of course. But I think that this representative from Florida calling in, and relaying a private conversation between the president and it's a disgrace. widow is just an absolute disgrace and just as disgusting. So now, great, we're back where we always are with these things where both sides are, are culpable. The president kind of started it, and now a Democrat is
2: going to try and make a partisan football out of it. Not a to local- cut you off, Mike, but I'm going to get Simone in because I'm, all, I'm- Short on okay. time. Go ahead, Simone.
5: Well, I, I would just note that I, I think this is really the onus is on Donald Trump here. What Donald Trump Oops. allegedly said to um, the the widow of, of of Sergeant Johnson is despicable. It's disgusting, and we should all be disgusted. So let's not. But run we don't the
8: know Congress. the context. Not, we didn't we let, don't yeah, know that. There, that's was, just there not is, true. is you're no.
5: Con- I am sorry. There is no context where that is appropriate on that particular phone call. You
8: don't know what was said in the conversation. You're you're, you're basically there hoping that's what was said there, so you, so not, you can not, go not, off on politics, would
5: Really sad. What's sad is you sitting here defending this, 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 these despicable acts today? That is what's I, I, sad here. I didn't defend sad, anything except for saying sad, sad that you are, want to go this hard on your, no, I would like to go hard on the, on the fact that we have I've lost got the i got five
2: quorum. seconds. Thank, I'm sorry. That's what I'm going hard Don. on. I'm,
5: I'm disappointed with Donald Trump.
2: I gotta go. I'm sorry, Don. y'all. Thank you. That's it for us tonight. Thanks for watching. I'll see you right back here tomorrow.
9: It's okay. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much.
11: President Trump uh, speaking about tax reform but answering a number of questions, one of the last regarding his phone call to the wife of a fallen soldier. And I uh, want us this morning to honor those fallen soldiers in a bit of a different way. Really, I want to share the stories of those four men who were killed in the line of duty. Four families are now heartbroken today. Children are without fathers, wives are without their husbands, and parents are without their sons. And I want to go beyond the politics because that's what matters here for just a moment and focus on these brave American heroes who are defending our freedoms and their devastated families today. Here are the men who died for our country. All four were members of the Army's third special forces group based at Fort Bragg. 35-year-old Army Staff Sergeant Brian Black. He was a special forces medical sergeant. He's a master chess, poker, and carpentry, as well as stock trading. He grew up in Washington State. He leaves behind his wife, Michelle, and their two young sons 39 year old army staff sergeant jeremiah johnson he was a chemical biological radiolog excuse me radiological and nuclear specialist he's from the state of ohio he has a wife crystal and their two daughters staff sergeant johnson loved motorcycles the outdoors and smoking cigars. He was a businessman before enlisting in the army back in 2007. His commander said, quote, Johnson was an exceptional soldier in all regards. We as a nation are fortunate to have men like Jeremiah. 29-year-old Army Staff Sergeant Dustin Wright, whose brother Will I spoke to yesterday. His family has a 205-year history in the military. Staff Sergeant Wright followed his dad, his mom, and his brother Will all in the military. And Will says Dustin didn't want accolades or praise or awards. He did his job fighting for this country Because it's what he loved, and it's what he was born to do. And finally, a man who's getting a lot of attention and certainly needs some. 25-year-old Army Sergeant David T. Johnson of Miami Gardens, Florida. He was a Special Forces engineer from Georgia. Sergeant Johnson's body arrived in Miami yesterday. The sergeant's American flag-draped casket was wheeled out of the plane by six other American soldiers at Miami International Airport His wife, Myesha, was escorted to the casket along with her six-year-old daughter to greet the casket of her husband. His heart-wrenching image of a wife leaning over the casket of her love. You can hear her sobbing as she stood with her daughter. Her little girl is next to her in braids, wearing a pink dress and holding her mom's hand. She kissed the casket before walking away. American hero Sergeant Johnson has two young children and his wife is pregnant, expected to have a baby this February. Those are four great American heroes who are the ones we should be talking about, whether it's the president calling their families or whether it's all of us every day appreciating the men and women who serve our country, who may be thousands of miles away we cannot forget to honor them in our daily lives. We'll be back.
8: ...was being uh, forthcoming and all it knew about this. Senator McCain's answer was no. Jake? All right, Jeff Zeleny at the White House, thank you so much. The loss of a service member and the pain of his or her family is part of life in this nation that we at the LEAD try to treat with appropriate sensitivity and respect. Now, we do not know what exactly President Trump said to Maisha Johnson, the grieving widow of Sergeant Ladeva Johnson. Congresswoman Frederica Wilson claims the president said, quote, he knew what he signed up for, but I guess it still hurt, unquote, that the president did not seem to know Johnson's name. And the congressman further suggested that the president's words caused the widow to break down after the call ended. Johnson's mother tells CNN that that description is accurate. The president, however, on Twitter and to reporters denies this. He tweeted he had proof and the White House today. So the Congresswoman Wilson was trying to politicize a call to a widow and that those who heard the call on the White House staff found the president's words perfectly respectful. All of that really makes very little difference when you think about it. The family heard what it heard, even if the president was completely misunderstood. His attempt at comfort failed under the best of circumstances. These moments between a commander in chief and the family of a fallen service member are awful, just awful. And the problem that President Trump might have here, however, is that when it comes to sensitivity, when it comes to sensitivity about service and sacrifice specifically, he's already made what critics have assessed to be some grievously bad decisions. You go back to 2015, his attack on Senator John McCain, who spent five and a half years as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. McCain was tortured. He was despondent. At times he was suicidal. As the son and grandson of admirals, he would have been allowed He was asked to leave early as a propaganda effort by the North Vietnamese, but McCain refused to do it in deference to the POWs who had been there longer. But this is how Trump saw it.
7: He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you.
8: Then, of course, there's Kazir and Ghazala Khan, the gold star parents of Army Captain Humayun Khan, who was killed in Iraq. He belittled them after their appearance at the Democratic Convention. After they took issue with Mr. Trump's anti-Muslim rhetoric, then-candidate Trump suggested that a fallen soldier's mother didn't speak at the convention because uh, she was forbidden as a Muslim woman to speak. In actuality, as she later said, she was just too broken up to discuss the loss of her fallen son. Shortly after his inauguration, during a visit to the CIA, the president stood in front of the memorial wall there, where there are now etched 125 stars for fallen CIA officers, including one for former Navy SEAL Christopher Mueller, who saved the line of an Afghan commander before sacrificing his own. Another one for former Marine Major Zambiak, the so-called Lion of Fallujah, who was killed in Iraq. The president spent his time at the CIA in front of that wall railing about media coverage of the size of the crowds at his inaugural.
9: It looked, honestly, it looked like a million and a half people, whatever it was, it was. But it went all the way back
7: to the Washington Monument. And I turn on, and by mistake,
8: amidst all this ham-handedness, the president this week falsely accused President Obama and previous presidents of never having phoned Gold Star families. In an apparent attempt to make himself look more attentive and compassionate, I suppose. And in the midst of that effort to depict himself in a glowing light, this current controversy, ironically enough, sadly burst onto the scene. As just another political weapon used by the President and used against the President, this most personal and horrific experience, just one more piece of ammunition in the snark wars where nothing matters anymore except for scoring points. Instead of focusing on these fallen men and women and their families who will never be the same, we're focused on process and phone calls and letters and the spat. President Trump, when challenged on the fact that President Obama did actually call Gold Star families, not all of them, but some of them, he told one radio interviewer the following.
7: You could ask General Kelly did he get a call from Obama
8: and that's a reference to that's a reference to his chief of staff, retired Marine General John Kelly. Uh, Kelly and his wife Karen uh, lost their son, Marine First Lieutenant Robert Michael Kelly, to a landmine in Afghanistan in two thousand ten a- and truly, what will honor the Kellys and the memory of Robert more than anyone debating whether Obama should have phoned them instead of writing them a letter is to take a moment to consider. Robert Kelly, and all of the men and women who serve our nation, while considering these words, quote, sons like yours who serve are men and women of character who continue to believe in this country enough to put life and limb on the line without qualification and without thought of personal gain, and they serve so that the sons and daughters of the other 99% don't have to. No big deal, though, as Marines have always been the first to fight paying in full the bill that comes with being free for everyone else, unquote. Those were the words of General John Kelly at a Veterans Day event for Marines in 2010. And what makes those words most remarkable, perhaps, is that he delivered that speech just four days after his beloved son Robert was killed. Now, I've learned on this job that telling the stories of troops and their families that it's very important that we all choose our words very carefully when discussing these losses and it's not just journalists and politicians all of us need to consider the unimaginable that these families go through when we speak to them and when we speak of them and if you don't take great care and in fact if you're reckless about these kinds of sacrifices the kind of sacrifice you see on your screen right now well then people might not be willing to give you the benefit of the doubt if on one occasion your words come out wrong Yeah.
1: Do you think any of those people really give a fuck about soldiers? They're politicizing this. They want everything they could possibly do to dog the president. Now, Grant, I've been on the show. I don't like Trump. I don't like his tweeting. And I think what he did after this was fucking horrible. He should have shut the fuck up. You can't argue with the circus clown. She's a fucking clown. She looks like an extra from the Gap Band during the Drop the Bomb tour. That was my first concert with my big sis. But she's wearing the Gap Band hats. She's a fucking circus clown. But the media ran. Oh, they ran with this. He doesn't know his name. He didn't, he said something heartless. He argued with the gold star family. Gold star family's better now. We forgot about Khan. We tracked him out like a fucking prop. A politically active lawyer for the left who came out and said how fucked up the world is and we all need to carry around a constitution. Yeah, they carved him out again. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll hit him. But there was some truth. So I'm going to play a couple more and then I, I, I'm going to get in into my Ranting on this, uh, there, this is TDS, all right, to Trump, Trump derangement syndrome across the board. But there are other family members and Gold Star fa- fathers who spoke and said, "Yeah, he was great. I'm glad he did." Cady K calls out the piece of shit for being what she is, politicizing, and Se Cup nails it shut with the simple fact: the media doesn't give a
2: fuck. We continue our team coverage now with reaction from South Florida lawmakers. CBS 4's
8: Carrie Codd live in Fort Lauderdale with some explosive rhetoric we're hearing tonight. Carrie.
7: That's right. Reaction from across the South Florida congressional delegation was swift. They demanded answers and the word impeachment was being thrown around. The allegation that President Trump asked then-FBI Director James Comey to stop an investigation into former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's alleged Russian connections elicited sharp words from the South Florida congressional delegation.
5: Our president needs to take an eighth-grade civics course. This is very simple. If the president
9: asked for an investigation to be stopped then that's obstruction of justice
7: what's at stake here is the integrity of our government the trust and the confidence of the american people and we cannot play games with any of that south florida congressional leaders want to hear comey testify under oath in public to tell what he knows and get answers for the american people republican congressman carlos cabello says the allegations against the president are unproven but cannot be dismissed. If these allegations are true, this is deeply disturbing, and it would mark the beginning of a new and very sad chapter of scandal and controversy in our country. Other South Florida politicians reacted via statement. Congressman Mario diaz Bellard said as more concerning details emerge, it's important to reserve judgment until all of the facts are clear. I hope to get a full and complete briefing on said details when they become available senator bill nelson said if true this is another piece to the puzzle and it does not look good for the white house
5: i think the question on many people's minds is is this potentially grounds for impeachment.
7: Caroline Mala Corbin teaches constitutional um, law at the University of Miami. She said impeachment would center around obstruction of justice charges. She said that would amount to answering whether the president meddled or interfered in any kind of official investigation or proceeding.
5: If there was an attempt to stop an investigation, that would certainly count as obstruction of justice.
7: But some on Capitol Hill are already saying they believe the president's actions rise to the level of impeachment.
5: He doesn't realize that he is on the brink of impeachment and people will begin to call for him to be impeached. And the Republicans will have to join in because they need to be on the right side of history.
7: I spoke with Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz a short time ago. She called this uh, the president, rather. She said President Donald Trump is single-handedly corroding the rule of law. Congressman Alcy Hastings put out a statement a short time ago. He said if these allegations are true, it is an audacious abuse of power. We did not hear from Congresswoman Ileana Leighton, And as for Senator Marco Rubio, we've tried to interview him over the last two days, both for this story and the story of the president's sharing of intelligence information with the Russians. However, he did not respond to our interview requests. Live in Fort Lauderdale, Kerry Codd, CBS 4 News tonight. Kerry, thank you.
1: I believe that President Trump uh, uh, is is doing a lot of uh, good things as far as Gold Star Families is concerned. And um, my, my perception of this story is is that um, his words are, are basically being taken and misconstrued. Um, I, I believe that if you interviewed him personally, one-on-one, Uh, you would find that uh, he's very, very empathetic and very
8: compassionate, not only toward uh, Gold Star families, but also uh, in in regards to our active duty. uh, I believe he has a big heart for them as well.
12: You know, I think at the end of the day what we have to look at is um, the idea of uh, politicizing Gold Star families. I know I've had several people over the last 24 hours ask me, uh, if I was called by the president when Travis was killed, uh, ask me if I know people that were called by President Obama when their loved ones were killed because through my work I deal with a lot of Gold Star families. And the fact of the matter is is that Gold Star families are not talking to each other about whether or not the president called. Uh, what is important to Gold Star families is to make sure that their loved one's service and legacy is remembered. And I think that's the bigger story here uh... we need to make sure that we stop talking about who's calling uh... our gold star families and we start talking about these gold star
4: families and what they represent to this country and we start sharing their loved ones it's Cathy Kay here obviously we haven't heard uh... directly from mrs johnson she's going through an awful lot this conversation has become intensely politicized uh... first from the president but now do you think you have any qualms about From your point of view as a Democratic congresswoman also politicizing this conversation, is it right that you are speaking out about what was a conversation between Mrs. Johnson and the president?
5: What I'm I'm really concerned about, and I wrote a letter to uh, General Mattis about the circumstances surrounding his death. I'm not trying to politicize what the president said. So I want answers surrounding his death. I want a complete investigation as to what happened to him. Why was he missing for 48 hours? Why was he in an unarmored car? Why didn't they have appropriate weapons? Boko Haram is the most dangerous terrorist group in the world. They burn babies and use little girls as suicide bombers.
4: Congresswoman, that's, you're quite right. There needs to be investigation to this, and there's been far too little coverage of this. And now the Pentagon is going to have an investigation into how um, those four soldiers died, and there should be more information. What I'm asking you specifically is, are you complicit in politicizing this conversation around the deaths of fallen soldiers?
5: Someone asked me a question. Did you hear the call? tell us what you heard i told them what i heard
9: yeah mark calperin that's
5: not that's not politicizing anything that was my constituent mr trump was extremely insensitive All to right. that family and i will stick by that i'm not trying to politicize it but
2: no, i we think com- it was a
5: disgrace we
2: completely understand it was a disgrace
5: i'm disappointed
12: on a number of levels, but I want to bring up Benghazi for a minute. Republicans were accused of fake outrage for demanding answers and accountability on that attack. And I'm, I'm sure some of that was political, but my outrage was real then, it's real now. I'm appalled that today is day 14 and we still don't have basic answers as to what happened. I will remind you on day two of the Benghazi attack, Every major news outlet was covering multiple angles, and Republicans were in unison demanding answers. By the Sunday following the attack, day five, Face the Nation had the president of Libya's National Congress, Susan Rice and John McCain on to discuss the attacks and what we knew. By day 14, the press and the public had already debunked the administration's video retaliation theory. Sean Hannity was on his radio show calling out the liberal media for believing it. Today, on day 14... Many are busy pointing fingers at who called whom. It's a little empty to be outraged over what the president did or didn't say to these gold star families if you're not also asking why they are now gold star families. And I'll take and the so, slowness of this right, investigation right. over the immediate obfuscation. That's, of, that's of, exactly why I, I will. But I, I'm just looking for some... um some equivalent outrage and basic yeah, curiosity right. Right. from people in my party, from people in the media, from lawmakers.
2: Yeah, no, I think basic curiosity, I think you hit the nail on the head start. right there. Yeah, that, that would be a nice place to start because a lot of the same people who were outraged, whether for real or theatrically, over Benghazi don't seem to be very curious about this. Well,
12: and a lot of the same people in the media who were saying Obama's fine, he did nothing wrong, he didn't lie, are now outraged over what Trump has but-
1: yeah, that 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 uh, SC Cup says it. They're misconstruing his words. They had a bunch of people on on CNN the first day and then that was it. Then it turned into a circle jerk. Ted Liu comes out, uh what the fuck did his dumb ass say? Administration still does not adequately explain what happened to Niger. The whole world said, "Well, Obama dipshit and save our girls just didn't really work, right?" Sally Cohn, the first. And Obama and Hillary didn't explain why troops were sent to Baghazi. What difference does this point, does it make? That's Sally Cohn. That wasn't Sally Cohn. Oh, it was the fake Sally Cohn. Sorry. I read it, read it right, but it was just like weird. Joy Reid comes in for many iterations of what she wants to call it. The next time Donald Trump holds a press briefing, I hope reporters ask him to name the four soldiers killed in Nigeria. Do you know my name, Joy? How about my teammates that were left to die along with me by your messiahs? And that was Chris Paranto from Benghazi. I thought that was great. Torre, I wonder why the intense, relentless curiosity that the right had about Benghazi is totally absent in Nigeria. They're trying to make this Benghazi is what they're trying to do. People, of course, explained to him, hey, dipshit, we didn't blame it on a YouTube channel. Nobody did any of this shit. All right? This is your Messiah. This was the anointed one. He was the one that sent these guys. And somewhere in it, Kelly was brought in. So I'm going to play a very lengthy Kelly speech. Most of you haven't heard it. I think it's important you hear it. He's going to talk what happens to a fallen soldier. He's going to talk about what Gold Star families feel And he's going to chastise the fucking media who, once again, are playing stupid that they don't remember that Obama sent people to Niger. We'll have a music break, and we'll come back and finish this sordid affair.
9: I was stunned when I came to work yesterday morning and brokenhearted at what I saw a member of Congress doing. A member of Congress who listened in on a phone call from the President of the United States to a young wife. And in his way, tried to express that opinion. That he's a brave man. A fallen hero. He knew what he was getting himself into because he enlisted. There's no reason to enlist. He enlisted. And he was where he wanted to be, exactly where he wanted to be with exactly the people he wanted to be with when his life was taken. That was the message. That was the message that was transmitted. It stuns me that a member of Congress would have listened in on that conversation. Absolutely stuns me. And I thought, at least that was sacred. You know, as a kid growing up, a lot of things were sacred in our country. Women were sacred. And looked upon with great honor. That's obviously not the case anymore, as we see from recent cases. Life the dignity of life is sacred that's gone religion that seems to be gone as well Gold Star families I think that left in the convention over the summer I just thought the selfless devotion that brings a man or woman to die on the battlefield I just thought that that might be sacred and when I listened to this woman and what she was saying and what she was doing on TV the only thing I could do to collect my thoughts was to go and walk among the finest men and women on this earth and you can always find them because they're in Arlington National Cemetery went over there for an hour and a half walked among the stones some of whom I put there because they were doing what I told them to do when they were killed and a congresswoman uh, stood up and in the long tradition Of empty barrels making the most noise, stood up there and all of that, and talked about how she was instrumental in getting the funding for that building, and how she took care of her constituents because she got the money, and she just called up President Obama, and on that phone call, he gave the money, the $20 million, to build the building. She sat down, and we were stunned. Thanks very much. And know, as, I walk off, as I walk off the stage, as I walk the stage, understand there's tens of thousands of American kids, mostly, doing the nation's bidding all around the world. They don't have to be in uniform. You know, when I was a kid, every man in my life was a veteran, World War II, Korea, and there was the draft. These young people today, they don't do it for any other reason than their selfless, sense of selfless devotion to this great nation we don't look down upon those of you that haven't served in fact in a way we're a little bit sorry because you'll never have experienced the wonderful joy you get in your heart when you do the kind of things our servicemen and women do Uh, not for any other reason and they love this country. let just think of that, and I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Did the President authorize, the, president authorize the mission, General Kelly?
0: Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid.
1: So, do you think um, he was given any respect? Any at all? Brian Fallon, right out of the gate. Kelly isn't just an enabler, of Trump. He's a believer in him. That makes him as odious as the rest. Don't get distracted by the uniform the uniform thank you Brian you fill it in Sean Davis, Hillary Flack who never served in uniform declares an actual combat veteran service to be invalid because of Trump yeah people brought up what about gold star families Zach Zoplin John Kelly's crap about civilians not serving the country is so freaking offensive this is the kind of shit military dictators say so now he's an enabler now he's a dictator he backed it up with let me introduce you to the journalists non-profit staffers teachers public defenders and people standing in front of trump tower saying fuck trump fuck trump so it's not clear to people. It's offensive to accuse civilians of not engaging. Gary Legum, the swarm at the end of the speech about feeling sorry for people who choose to serve the military. I'm still seething. Simone Sanders, they found a way to make this about black women doing something wrong. Miss me with his ass backward attempt to vindicate Trump. Keith Boykin, if John Kelly wants to stop politicizing the death of soldiers, you should tell Trump to stop comparing his calls to those of past presidents, because they were just butthurt that they brought out he never did it. Dave Gordon, or Devin Gordon, Gold Star families, the left during the convention over the summer, whose convention, why did it, why did it leave, it was your boss. His criticism is the same as the GOP line on everything appalling they, they do, the real monsters are the leakers. Kelly is a fucking coward whose nose is so far up Cheeto's ass, the only way he sees daylight is when Cheeto coughed. Uh, Kelly, in USA, historically, women are sacred and looked upon in great honor Then an orange-tinted moron with wig tried to grab his genitals. Keith Oberman, <clears throat> Vivica Winslet, an actor. Kelly is a fucking coward whose nose is so far up Cheeto's ass, The only way he sees daylight is when Cheeto coughs. Yeah, I wanted to read it twice because she's a bitch. Uh, Another day at the White House, shame on black people, never hear shame on Trump. Will Wheaton, Kelly disgraced and dishonored himself today. If he had any integrity at all, he'd resign. Momo asked, How many despicable stereotypes can one pack in 140 characters? Joy aims to find out. Which brings me to Joy Reid. Wow, Lawrence O'Donnell scorched General Kelly tonight, including calling out his segregated Boston upbringing and dehumanizing black women. Wow, 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 Lawrence O'Donnell noted that General Kelly didn't even give Representative Wilson the dignity of using her name. Kelly grew up in segregated Boston in an Irish Catholic neighborhood where women were bullied, not honored, and black, scorned, and rejected. Lawrence grew up in the same neighborhood, but he became something else. Conservative, black. Two white men grew up in the same neighborhood, but because one agrees with me, so he's not racist, says Joy Reid. Alex Griswold. John Kelly must be a bigot. You can tell because of his ancestry, religion, and birthplace. Limerick King. Gee, I didn't know how... People from Ireland bully women and hate blacks. Is it just me or is this a complete racist statement? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it didn't stop there. Um, it, it just couldn't stop. Mark Computo literally got this quote after hearing chaired by Wilson into nursing home deaths. I handed her my phone with a story and this was her comment. John Kelly's trying to keep his job. He will say anything. There were other people who heard what I said. She then said, I'm a rock star now. Lauren Duca. John Kelly lamenting days when women were held sacred while launching an attack on an outspoken congresswoman really sums the whole thing up. Joy read again, just landed, in thanks to Spotify Wi-Fi, just learned that Trump sent Kelly out to use his son's death to defend Trump. People lost it on that one, like, you're fucking sick. Can't believe people use the sacrifice of others for their own personal gain, A eh, Joy? She then said again, why are troops in Niger, and why haven't the re- relevant Republican committee chair scheduled hearings? Stephen Miller. Hi, Joy. Troops were sent to Niger Barack Obama. Hope this helps. They even asked Mattis. He shut him down in about two point three second. Planned Parenthood. This is part of a pattern of the Trump administration attacking and undermining black women. It's despicable. We stand with Representative Wilson and all black women. Which reads as, we stand with women because we want to abort their babies and we love anybody that hates Trump. Chris was Congresswoman, this was all done by Stephen Miller. Congresswoman pledged not to to conduct any more comments on this. Chris Saliza, right after that. He didn't know David's name, Wilson on Trump. There's nothing to misinterpret. He said what he said, Wilson on Trump. This is unconscionable. Wilson on Trump. Maxine Water, General Kelly has lied. Representative Wilson is conducted over dignity. The only empty barrel I see is one in the Oval Office, because they tried to say empty barrel is now a racist thing. Yeah. Mediate Frederica Wilson, the White House itself is full of white supremacists. Guy Benson, this isn't about me, just kidding. Put me on TV to yell about white supremacy. Kazir Khan was carved out by CBS. Kelly should have refrained from weighing in on controversy surrounding Gold Star families. We acknowledge Kelly's sacrifice to services, family services, but now he's a citizen of the United States. Should refrain from doing exactly the same thing that he was complaining about. Mmm. So Ben Shapiro sums up what I would have said. So only Gold Star families who speak at the DNC convention can do it. That's pretty much how the media is playing it. Wilson, Niger is Donald Trump's Benghazi. Wilson, long time ago, Donald Trump is going to be impeached. Wilson, the White House is full of white supremacist
10: racists.
1: I'm not even playing motherfucker asshole. This, this shit, it, 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 it it's so sad. I, I'm just gonna, I'm going to do two things, and it's going to make this podcast very long, and if you don't want to listen to it, you just fast forward through it, and we'll move along after, but i got to read this from a soldier, and I'm going to play a eulogy that General Kelly did, so let me just read this first, because I'm so angry. That's why this is kind of chewed up. I, I, I've tried to go over this three or four times without losing my fucking mind over it. But as I'm doing it, I still can't refrain from going how pathetic we are as a country that because we hate Trump, this is something we talked about all week. An SF soldier gave his life. A congresswoman politicized it the president tweeted about it, and the media uses it as a cudgel, and nobody gives a fuck about that soldier. Nobody. Nobody cares. He addressed this letter to liberals. I don't know his name. It's just Mike. Going to speak for all veterans for just a moment. We didn't list because we were poor, stupid, or lacked opportunities. You like to think that because it makes you feel superior, but that's not the case. We enlisted because we have love of country and a willingness to sacrifice. We're overwhelmingly Republican, so stop trying to turn us into talking point props for your agenda, which we do not agree with. To expound on number two above, the closer you get to the tip of the spear, the more right-leaning we become. So the former supply sergeant who you turn to as a liberal veteran is not a good representative of our ranks. Basically, everyone who's continually... Continually putting themselves in harm's way is the polar opposite of you when it comes to core beliefs. Show me a card-carrying liberal Democrat in special operations, and I'll show you what is either a case of stolen valor or the guy everyone else hates, and we've probably thrown his shit out into the hallway. We all knew what we were getting into. Remember when I said that we weren't stupid. So don't put our pictures on the news and pretend we were counting the days until we could come take our college money and leave and that we had no idea that the military exists to fight wars. We aren't victims, not even politicians. Oh, and on the subject of that, your Democrat politicians tend to kill way more of us for dumber reasons than do Republicans. Reference Barack Hussein Obama liberals. Rolling Stones. wasn't from Breitbart. We did what we did so that you can be free to naively judge us, complain about the manner in which we keep you safe, be a wussy playing, paying a, playing a kid's game for 500000 a year and give us the finger glorify enemies so they can better kill us, and just all around live your worthless sponge lives while you continually ask for the government and for us to do more for you while at the same time making it palatable so you don't feel guilty for being a self-obsessed turd living off the labors of others. In other words... You're welcome. The oppresso liber. That pretty much sums my feelings of this all. I once again will say that the president should have left it alone. He tweeted about it again today. But the president of the United States was doing something nice. And in these times where the left can't, come to grasp the fact they're not in power of shit because of dumb shit like this. Hypocritical shit like this. A congresswoman somehow miracled her ass in the very car going to get the body so she could politicize it wear her gap band fucking hat and play fuck fuck goose with a fallen soldier who was sent to Nigeria by Barack Hussein Obama. Fuck all of you. And now, pull out a piece of paper and take notes, liberals. This is going to educate you on why we don't think like you. And then any day of the week, I will take two privates... And the Marines are the Army standing on the front lawn, or front wall, guarding our country against the fucking tigers that you seem to say don't exist, but turn a blind eye when your president bombs half the fucking world over any fucking little hipster, Antifa fuck, BLM protester standing in front of a Trump Tower saying fuck Trump as their payment for citizenship. This is General Kelly doing a eulogy at a California Gold Star event.
9: These two young men are not your loved ones but they're exactly like your loved ones. They're cut from the same bolt of cloth and had the same kind of steel on their backs. On the 22nd of April, 2008, two Marine battalions, the 1st Battalion, 9th Marines, the walking dead from Vietnam fame, and the 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, were switching out in a place called Ramadi, Iraq. One battalion was going home in a few days, and the other just starting its seven-month tour. Two Marines, Corporal Jonathan Yale and Lance Corporal Jordan Herder, 22 and 20 years old, respectively, one from each battalion. They were assuming the watch together at the entrance gate to an outpost that contained a makeshift barracks housing 50 Marines. The same broken-down ramshackle building was also home to 100 Iraqi police who were our allies, they were my men, in this fight against the terrorists in Ramadi. Yale was a dirt-poor, mixed-race kid from Virginia with a wife and a daughter and a mother and a sister who lived with him, and he supported them as well on $13,000 a year. Herder was a middle-class white kid from Long Island. The two of them were from two completely different worlds in our country, not good, not bad, just different. Had they not joined the Marine Corps, they would never have known each other. They would never have even understood that multiple Americas exist simultaneously, depending on your education level, your family's income status, maybe. But they were Marines. They were combat Marines. And because of this bond, they were brothers as close as if they were born to the same woman. The mission orders they received from the sergeant, His squad leader, I'm sure, went something like this. Okay, you two clowns, stand this post and let no unauthorized personnel or vehicles pass. You clear on that? And I'm sure Yale and Heather then then rolled their eyes and said in unison something like, Yes, Sergeant, we got it. We know what we're doing. Screw you. (laughs) Again, I'm prior enlisted. I know how they think. They were then relieved, two, two other Marines on watch, who, as it turned out, were probably the two luckiest Marines on the on the earth that day. And they assumed those posts, Yale and Herder, at, at a place called the entry control point at Nasser in the Safiya district of uh, Ramadi in Iraq. In any event, a few minutes later, a le- very large blue truck turned down the, uh, the alleyway. That was no more than 100 yards in length. It sped its way through the serpentine concrete walls, Jersey walls. The truck then stopped just short of where these two were posted. It detonated. It killed both of them catastrophically. And if you know what combat's like, you know what I'm talking about when I say catastrophically. 24 brick masonry houses were damaged or destroyed by the blast. A mosque 100 meters away collapsed. The truck's engine came to rest 200 meters away, and it knocked down a building before it came to rest. Our EOD guys, or explosive guys, reckoned that the blast was made by a bomb of at least 2,000 pounds of explosive. Two died, and because these two young infantrymen died, they didn't know how to run from danger. 150 men, 50 U.S. Marines, and 100 Iraqis were saved. When I read the situation report, a few hours after it happened, I called the regimental commander, Luke Crapurata, and I asked him for details about what happened. It seemed different to me. Unfortunately, Marines dying or being seriously wounded is common in in combat. We expect Marines, and for that matter, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Coast Guardsmen, regardless of rank, to do their duty, to stand their ground, and to die if that's what the mission requires. The regimental commander had just returned from the site. He agreed with me, but reported to me that no American witnesses to the event, that there were no American witnesses, just Iraqi police. I figured if there was any chance of finding out what actually happened and to recognize these young men for what they've done, I'd have to go down there myself because I understood Unfortunately, that the bureaucrats in Washington would never accept Iraqi statements for what had taken place. If, it, if there was any chance at all, it had to come under my signature. So I traveled to Ramadi the next day and spoke to half a dozen Iraqi police, all of whom told me the same story. They said the truck turned down into the alley and sped up as it made its way through the serpentine jersey walls. They all said they knew immediately what was going on, particularly when the Marines began to fire. The Iraqis all began firing as well, then to a man ran for safety just prior to the explosion. They all survived. Many were injured, some seriously injured. But as one of the Iraqis said to me, Sir, they'd run from the danger like any normal man would to save his life. But he didn't know until then, he said, and what he learned at that instant was that Americans are not normal. With tears welling up, he said to me, sir, in the name of Allah, no sane man would have stood there and done what they did. No sane man. They saved all of us. What we didn't know at the time, what I didn't know at the time, and only learned a couple of days later, after I wrote a summary of statement of of this bravery and submitted it, and submitted them, both Yale and Herder, for Navy Crosses, which is the number two award for Marines and sailors in combat. What I didn't know was that one of the security cameras we had at the location that was damaged initially in the blast had caught everything, it happened exactly as these Iraqis described it to me. It took exactly six seconds by that recording from the truck into the valley until it uh, exploded. Six seconds. And you can watch, and I did watch many, many times on this recording, the last six seconds of their lives. When it first started, I suppose it took about, a second or so for the Marines to separately come to the conclusion about what was going on. They had no time to talk it over, only enough time to take half an instant and think about what the sergeant maybe had told them a few minutes before, let no unauthorized persons or vehicles to pass. At that point, I think, according to this recording, the Marines had about five seconds to live. Think of it. Five seconds to live. I don't think they knew it. They didn't have time. It took about another two seconds for the two jarheads to raise their weapons, to take aim, and to open up at that truck. By this time, the truck was halfway through the barriers and gaining speed the whole time. Here the recording shows a number of Iraqi policemen, some of whom had fired their AK-47s, were now scattering like the normal and rational men they were, some running right past the Marines. The two Marines had about three seconds to live. For about two seconds more, the recording shows the Marines firing their weapons nonstop. The truck's windshield exploded into shards of glass as their rounds took it apart and undoubtedly tore into the body of the terrorist that was trying to kill their brothers. Unaware of the danger, at the time, the Marines and Iraqi soldiers could take comfort in the fact if they'd have known the two Marines were on watch and would die before they ran. The truck careens to a stop immediately in front of the two Marines. In all of this instantaneous violence, Yale and Herder never hesitated. They never stepped back. They never even started to step back. They never shifted their weight. With their feet spread shoulder width apart, they leaned into the fire and fired as fast as they could. They had only at this point one second to live. And then the truck explodes, the camera goes blank, and the two young men go to their God. Six seconds. Not enough time to think about their country or their flag, or about their lives, Other deaths, but more than enough time for two very brave young men, like your sons and daughters, like your brothers and sisters, like your spouses, two very brave young men to do their duty for eternity. That is the kind of people who are on watch for us all over the world tonight. That is the kind of young men and women that came from your families. I end tonight by saying to you all that when future generations ask why America is still free in the heyday of these terrorists and their allies was counted in days rather than centuries as they said, as they proclaimed would work or would happen, that our hometown heroes, our soldiers, our sailors, our airmen, our coast guardsmen, our Marines, that they can say because of me and people like me who risked all to protect millions, millions who will never know my name, that's why we still have an America. And for those of you tonight and all of the families that have lost the light of their lives, they can say to every American that it was my boy or it was my girl who stood their post and did their duty into eternity.
1: I actually had more sound effects of the media dogging Kelly, but I'd rather just play that because if that didn't touch you in some way to make you understand the sacrifices that have been laid down during this war of terror while you were at the fucking mall buying a new pair of jeans and bitching that you had to pay for your college tuition... Mostly progressives I'm talking to. You are so far from a patriot. No, Nancy Pelosi. Dissent is not the highest form of patriotism. Serving in the United States Army and giving your life up without even flinching, like those two heroes who the media didn't even report on and probably never will play what I just played you, because they hate Trump or something. Yeah. Those are heroes. Two last things, and then we'll get into our tweets of the day without a bumper. Rachel Wood tweeted, This will be the next dam to break. Hollywood's other open secret, preying on young boys. Yeah. And to keep in line with the crazy liberalism that I had to do up front, I didn't want it to get lost. In our news and social media nuggets today, my friends, a federal judge said a illegal immigrant had to get a free abortion in our country. It was in California. They quoted the Constitution, which doesn't even apply to an illegal immigrant. That's how far off the fucking map your cult religion of progressivism has gone. We will cover more on the General Kelly stuff next podcast, but as I promised, let's get into some fun shit. Our tweet of the day is the CIA, CIA K nine pup date. And I thought this was super cute. As those who follow the show know, I I have dogs. There's two of them on the ground next to me. Gigantic huskies watching me yell at a mic and t- tilting their heads occasionally like, what is he doing? Sometimes, even after testing our pups, make it clear being a explosive detection canine isn't for them. And this thread goes all the way through to say, Lulu didn't make it. They show cute pictures of this dog. Supposedly supposed to be sniffing shit out, but all it wanted to do was lay around, eat, and play with the ball. And I thought that was pretty funny, because I have a dog that I think would have been a great canine, and I have another one who's a fucking knucklehead, and he never would have made it. Never would have made it. Another one is from the Obama era, and somehow this... Got recirculated, LGBT centenic drag queen are teaching our children no joke. And it shows a California state senator, Scott Weiner, literally retweeted a Long Beach public library. Thank you for the families who joined us at LBPL for a special drag queen storyline with guest artist Zaki Moki celebrating LGBTQ History Month. This thing, and that's not being transphobic, because it's just a fucking thing, has five horns coming off its head with Gene Simmons paint. And people actually brought their kids for story time with the freak. That's not the tweet, though. The tweet is him. I love satanic drag queens in honor of this, this idiot. Two drag queens will be celebrity judges at my annual children's pumpkin carving it shows a picture of this guy dressed up as a drag tween, a drag queen. And then the tweet of the day is him at a gay pride festival dressed up like the biker from the village people. So for your drag queens, And your freaky-ass wardrobe, California, you're our Tweet of the Day.
13: Hey! Hey, Tweet of the Day!
0: We are witnesses to the most ruthless attack on a president and the people who voted for him and the free system that allowed it to happen in American history. From the highest levels of government to their media, universities and billionaires, their hateful defiance of his legitimacy is an insult to each of us. But the ultimate insult is that they think we're so stupid that we'll let them get away with it. These saboteurs slashing away with their leaks and sneers, their phony accusations and gagging sanctimony drive their daggers through the heart of our future, poisoning our belief that honest custody of our institutions will ever again be possible so they can then build their utopia from the ashes of what they burned down no their fate will be failure and they will perish in the political flames of their own fires we are the national rifle association of america and we are freedom's safest place
13: yeah that's a
1: new nra1 and it literally pierce morgan deluded dangerous demented dana a numbskull of humongous proportions As a conservative, you're actually being extremely annoying right now, furthering division even more, like, seriously. And I said, you're not a conservative. It wouldn't be surprised if she were on Putin's payroll. The best thing for USA right now is to realize Russia wants us divided. Mike Wickett, seriously, how delusional are you? Lincoln and JFK were killed. Take your gun, put it up your J and pull the trigger. Bobag Defeater at Brando... 5112. Hmm. At Diego 1965, you're a poster child for contraception. You're nothing but a weak-minded tool for the NRA. Wipe the blood off your hands. Kathy Griffin, Dear everyone everywhere except USA, the psycho bish sells beetroot boost energy powder on the side. Really. Dana Loesch, only responded to her by saying, you took photos holding the mock-severed head of a president, Sultan hominin are all you have, and oh, and Squatty Potty dropped you after your beheading stunt, Beat isn't dropping me. Yeah. To this, Steyer, the rich coke guy, did a whole thing on the NRA, paid for it himself, video, not going to play, got a lot of sound by stem that's not going to play. Not going to play it. They try to hit back with it, but in our stats of the day, I'm going to crush so many little hearts out there on the left with the AP orc poll that shows nobody's buying your bullshit. It's not the gun. It's the person. Washington Examiner, Gloria Steinem, Hillary Clinton is Wonder Woman. Jesse Kelly is our hate tweet. I wonder if she... Visited Wisconsin. <laughs> Today, Bergdahl's getting sentenced. As of the time of me starting this, I'm going to check in between segments. Uh, he hasn't got a sentence yet. But Jr. did a big, long tweet that I must read. If I have this right, Obama released dangerous terrorists to free Bergdahl from captivity Also, he could plead guilty and go to prison. I had a couple thoughts pop in my head today about Bergdahl. First, does everyone remember the timing right after the VA scandal? After the press reported that veterans were dying on secret wait lists after Obama had promised to fix the VA, they needed positive news. There were times the military knew where Bergdahl was being held right down to the number of men guarding him. Obama wouldn't green light. Suddenly on the heels of the VA scandal, Bergdahl became urgent. His health was supposedly failing. Obama said the trade had to happen. Although the military knew he had walked off and deserted, Obama gave him a hero's welcome. Rice said he served with honor and distinction. There was this big TV conference with Obama and Bergdahl's parents. It was all spin. Then his former soldiers started coming forward. They started revealing how many soldiers were killed and wounded, looking for him to after he, was, he deserted. The spin collapsed, and now here we are. As a veteran, I agree that we never leave a man behind, even a shitbag like Bergdahl. <clears throat> but the positive spin never should have happened. Bergdahl was never a hero. He chose to abandon his post, and his fellow soldiers got killed and wounded because of his actions. Unfortunately, the whole scenario is what happens when politics and military converge. People get used as a prop. I experienced it too. In the end, five terrorists were released who never should have been, and Bergdahl was released for captivity, only to go to another captivity. Yeah. That pretty much sums it up. Another theme that's on Twitter, how many other soldiers died, other than the ones that were searching for him. Because you released five terrorists who went back into the matrix. Pamela Geller tweeted, "Thank you to courageous jurors. Convicted Muslim ringleader of all counts and plot to ban me." Karen Anderson is the only person that tweeted this. Verdict in David Wright trial: Count one, two, three, four, and five guilty. Guilty. She's a conservative woman, and of course, you know. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We're not going to report that. We're not going to report it at all. So now we slide into our hypocrisy of the day. I didn't play Steyer. Which was the first rebuttal to the NRA ad, which you didn't hear me say anything about it, because we're going to about to do a stat from Jimmy Carter. I mean, NRA ad is true, folks. (laughs) It's true. But Hollywood... You know, they're done with, the, this is my fight song, get my pantsuit on, and vote for Hillary's song, and I don't really care that she's a piece of shit with an illegal sur song, okay, that was really off key, but you know where I was going with it, and now they're going for any town, every town, whatever, with a PSA.
12: The mass shooting in Las Vegas has all of us grieving, scared, and angry.
1: Knowing what to do about
7: it can be confusing.
6: Here's one thing that can make a difference right now.
11: Right now, that only takes
12: five minutes of your time.
0: All you have to do is text REJECT.
12: Text REJECT. R-E-J-E-C-T to
3: 644-33. It'll connect you to every town for gun safety. It's a nice
10: little email.
7: You'll get a call right back from every town for gun safety, connecting you with your lawmaker and giving you guidelines on what to say. In a moment, you'll be
8: connected to your representative. And don't be intimidated by making that call. I used to be in Congress. You're going to get voicemail. It's going to be easy, and it'll make a difference.
11: It can sometimes feel intimidating to make these calls, but it actually couldn't be easier. Call your rep right now to reject NRA's radical
3: agenda. Reply, call. It can be this simple. Hi, my name is Jack Antonoff. Sheryl Crow. Melissa McCarthy. Anna
13: Devere Smith. Adam Scott.
3: Catherine Hodden. Samuel
13: Harris, Chanel oh.
0: Maloney. Zussie oh. Beats, Cynthia Raleigh, Julianne Moore. Moby. Zadeline Rallis. Oh. Laura
13: Dern.
9: Sunday, I did Bay. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. Nashville. New York City. Pennsylvania.
0: Outwater Village.
11: Atlanta.
2: Los Angeles. I'm calling to urge you to oppose the SHARE Act.
11: I'm calling to urge you to oppose the SHARE Act, which would roll back gun silencer safety laws.
2: It could make mass shootings even more deadly. That
12: would make mass shootings even more deadly than they are already.
0: I also oppose concealed carry reciprocity legislation.
4: I oppose the concealed carry reciprocity legislation. That would gut our state's gun laws. I feel strongly that the time has come.
11: I feel really strongly that the time has come to reject the NRA's
0: dangerous agenda. And put the safety of all
11: Americans
0: first. Put the safety of all Americans first. We should not make it easy for people with dangerous histories to buy silencers.
10: Concealed carrier reciprocity will make our communities less safe.
0: Please protect us. Thank you.
11: See, that was a little bit scary, but not too scary. So I really
3: recommend you try it. it feels good. And
5: you are part of an organization called Every Town for Gun Safety. Yeah. Yes. It says it's not about control; it's about safety.
11: It's about safety, and it's not, you know, people like to talk about it as if it's a Second Amendment issue. It's a, it's a safety issue. A gun is a machine. You know, for, for instance, when cars were introduced, we had any number of fatalities because we didn't have safety regulations. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have seat belts and yeah. speed lim- speed limits and and airbags. Mm-hmm. And so we're Asking for those same kinds of things with gut registration, Mm -hmm. um, uh, licensing, background checks, checks, you know, I, I, I also think personally limitations on the amount of firearms you can own. I don't, why he had 47 firearms, I don't know, you know. So, you know, so I think all of those things, Mm -hmm. listen, you know, no one has an answer. We know how we can limit fatalities. Mm -hmm. We know how we can, we can make it less painful for everybody involved. So, Mm -hmm. well, you have two movies coming out.
1: yeah, Julian Moore's in the back of that saying we should limit guns. I'm gonna limit guns. You should only get a couple guns. I'm just gonna let it wait. I'm I wanna pull it out. I wanna hurt people. I wanna hurt their feelings. And by pulling it out, not my gun. My gun of truth. The latest poll that will show all these jackasses are full of shit. But I got to build the case still because Igor Slisky, another journalist, today guns down. America is launching a campaign against NRA's murder insurance, which nobody fuck. I'm a MR NRA member. I don't even know about this. But he went on two insurance companies, a partner, find NRA carry guard insurance. to gun owners who shoot someone. This, this is designed to protect stand your ground, like. Zimmerman, we gotta bring out that Trayvon Marco Mar- Martin, a pack of Skittles. Doesn't matter that it's not true and it's all false and Michael Brown didn't have his hands up, don't shoot, but you know, who gives a fuck? We just played along. NRI right, pervades coverage, criminal legal defense, firearm placement, cleanup costs, payouts to bail companies. Sign your name to another list of people that know nothing about a gun, but they want to take it away. But then he gets stupid and he goes into uh, the NRA always engages in a culture war. White men with guns are under threat by a changing world that uh, doesn't understand how important they are. That's what he said. Because you don't get enough traction unless you make it about race. Remember, intersectionality for the left is, how many ways can I make people shut up and do what I fucking want so I just throw a bunch of insults at them? He then said, rest in peace, my mentions after this tweet seems to have hit a nerve. Katie Pavlich brings the truth to him. Oh, really? Then why is Dana Loesch, a woman of Native American descent, the spokesman? Sexist argument is old and tiresome. So, they've been very busy. And we'll get busy in a few seconds. This one sums up... Frederica Gap Band uh, hat-wearing freak, the media who loved anything that bashes Trump, who had to go resurface the con. Tara McKevley, BBC reporter. After announcing the release of documents about the JFK assassination, President Trump goes on a uneventful motorcade ride. She tweeted a picture from the motorcade while she is in motion. Scheuden fraudish. Very subtle coming from a journalist. Good luck with your credibility. Another one. Maybe the BBC or Secret Service needs to look into her intents. She does have a White House pass. Why would you do that? Why? Because you want them killed? Is that what you want? Nancy Pelosi makes our hypocrisy. Wouldn't it be nice... If Mitt Romney was president today. Huge applause. I went to type, but what's the reason? I shouldn't type, because red states will take care of it. Stephen Miller. To, guy, to The guy who murders women with magic cancer, literally puts them in a binder, and who gave a kid a haircut once? I would have added the dog on the roof and the... Car elevator. You're such a fucking hypocrite, Nancy. Newsweek. A list of all times Donald Trump has been called the worst president. Yeah. Yeah. That That's news for the week, I guess. Washington Post blogger, being patriotic means being white. To many Americans, being patriotic means being a white. American patriotism has always been racialized. The message led the, to, the colonists to ask, are the protests about race or patriotism? He then inserted in a survey conducted earlier this month, 66% said the NFL players choosing to kneel during the playing of the national anthem is a matter of race compared to 34 who thought it was a matter of patriotism. It was done by a liberal think tank. Yeah, okay, never mind. American patriotism has always been racialized. Within the social science literature of intergroup relations, Jim Sedinus and Felicia Prato, influential theory of social dominance, nationally and ethnicity... Nationality and ethnicity are complementary because their powers enabled whites to successfully define prototypical America in their own image. And at that point, I stopped fucking reading. You're a fucking moron. Allison Phipps. So my students built Lego sculptures to represent intersectionality, and they were a hundred. That happened in a school. (laughs) Kristen Gillibrand comes on board. Kind of falling off her, I'm running for president stand. Let's be clear. The Senate GOP budget is a vehicle to, to a huge tax cut for big corporations and the rich, written by big corporations and the rich. And I bring you back to last podcast where Obama increased the profits of all companies by 59%. Shut the fuck up. This one cracks me up. Sarah Silverman news store, news show it will be funny it will be silly and there will be people who are not like-minded but i'm i'm hoping to expose is that we are much more the same than we think we are we're just listening to two different sets of lies on our news somebody retweeted what we covered on the show last summer confused construction markings for a swastika and wanted to be one to unite a fractured united states yeah you just shut up just Shut the fuck up. Other hypocrisy. Joss Whedon called a girl sweetie. That girl was Ivanka Trump. Amber Athony. This is pretty sexist from a so-called feminist. Alexander Brown. Fem, feminist is fuck to call Ivanka Trump sweetie. Feminist is fuck, by the way. How much did your divorce cost to you cheating asshat? <laughs> How, how, how does the left I don't we've already talked about it. I don't get it. Virginia Democratic nominee for governor deletes his black running mate from Palm cards. Yeah. Then GQ freelance writer for GQ Rupert Myers deactivated his Twitter account. He was writing for GQ about important social justice warrior stuff. And he's been accused of sexual harassment. You know it had to make her hypocrisy. You know it had. It just had to. There's no way we couldn't do it. Uh, But my favorite story is this one. Remember, when Trump made fun of a reporter that nobody saw but the media ran with who was disabled. It was a big deal. A CNN reporter, the handlock between Trump and McConnell, though, James Wood. McConnell's a polio survivor. You misinformed, arrogant, obnoxious, vile, biased asshole. Blue Lives Matter. So this kid over at CNN thinks it's funny to make fun of a polio survivor or just Disgraceful, uneducated idiot. And she wasn't the only one. Young Dems of America. Wait, what just happened? eager Bobic. Oh my God. Camaro Row. Oh, so beautifully awkward. Do, do you people even think about what you do? Do you? Do you even think about it? Jim Acosta gets in. We haven't talked about him forever. First, Jim Acosta just said he felt like CNN was putting time out during Rose Garden because they were in the back seats. Brian J. Kareem. I'm not saying that they are punishing MSC and CNN. What I am saying is that they are in the last two rows of the foreign press section. Nick Searcy. Yes, this happens when you suck. Then he came in. I've been off this week, and I've tried to tune out the outrage of the day. But what has unfolded this week is such a bad spectacle, even for D.C. People said, but mostly for you. Doesn't bother me, he said, comforting words, if you hear the whole thing. Now go report on filthy uranium deal. The sad spectacle is what you are not reporting, Jim. Grizzled old goat, you must be referring to CNN ignoring Uranium One. Nick Searcy, just relax. Anything you would have said has already been said by other hot, heartless leftist Hacks. <laughs> That's good, so we'll get to our stats of the day and get to what they like to call the money shot on Friday. Lisa Marie Payne and Emily Swanson of The Associated Press betrayed more than a little sadness that the slaying of five dozen people in Los Angeles or Las Vegas did little to change Americans opinion about gun laws. They ran this once and it was buried. You'll see in this. Article. This unfortunate, in their view, polling result was achieved despite a ridiculous weighting of the poll sample towards Democrats, accompanied by a failure to identify their overall political outlooks versus party affiliation of those who were sampled. The AP article was very difficult to find on the wire service main apnews.com website. A search there on gun control, not in quotes, failed to return it. The search term gun control is in the article, but not the headline, and the term gun control was oddly not used as a tag. The article does appear in a search for NORC, N-O-R-C, the polling firm currently partnering with AP. But even then, at least in my browser, only after scrolling past about a half dozen rows of repetitive and annoying mini-panels, even ignoring the page design problem, who would ordinarily use NORC as a search term? These low-visibility tactics are consistent with how a news outlet would handle a story it doesn't want readers to see. This treatment, the error-riddled page design just noted, and other observations which will be made in future posts indicate to me that the wire service has not only consciously decided to move towards less transparency and accountability, but it is stagnating or even shrinking as a business entity. As to the article itself, Payne and Swanson's bias was that almost anyone would have predicted in the direction of favoring more gun c- control, a.k.a. making it tougher for law-abiding citizens to own guns, while criminals, who by definition don't care about obeying laws, remain armed to the hilt. Here are the several paragraphs from the report, which begin with a statement which might as well read, How can these people be stupid? Vegas shooting doesn't change opinion on guns, A.P. nork poll. The slaying of five dozen people in Las Vegas did little to change American opinions about gun laws. That is the Associated Press. That's something you find on CNN and MSDNC. But the AP, Reuters, they're supposed to be straight news agencies. So it's really hard where I put this. It goes in hypocrisy, but it's full of stats. What do I do? The nation is closely divided on whether restricting firearms would reduce such mass shootings or homicides, though a majority favor tighter, tighter laws as they have for several years, according to the new poll from the Associated Press. The mass divide on stricter limits remains firmly in pace. The survey was conducted October 12th through the 16th. In this latest survey, 61% said the country's gun laws should be tougher, while 27% said would rather see them remain the same, and 11% want them to be less strict. That's similar to the results in another poll in 2016. Sadly, many people still believe that tougher gun laws are desirable because they are supposedly make the nation safer. This unfortunate belief persists despite the fact that more gun ownership has led to less crime in the past quarter century, only partially offset by the Ferguson effect. This belief also persists despite the fact that open-minded people like Leah Labresco, who has studied how effective proposed gun control measures would be in real life have found the argument for proposed gun control policies crumble when I examine the evidence. To the poll. Uh, as to the older poll, and consisted of 32% DEM, 25% GOP, 23% independent, and 20% none of these or refused. DEM advantage 7. After asking independents and others how they lean, the results were 42% DEM, 36% GOP, and 23% don't lean. DEM advantage 6, the number add to more than 100% because of the rounding. At the time, Gallup partly affiliation poll showed 28% each for the two major parties and 42% <clears throat> for independent, meaning the APGFK oversampled Democrats by 7 percentage point, ignoring leaners, and 6 points after including them. Now let's look at the more recent poll. It had 33% DEM, 22% GOP, 25% independent, and 20% none of these are refused. That's 11 point DEM. After asking the indies, it was 45 DEM, 35 GOP, and 20 don't lean. That's still plus 10 DEM. Gallup most recent party affiliation poll shows 30% Dem, 29% GOP, and 40% independent. Mean the AP-NORC oversampled Democrats by 10 points. Yeah, they did it on purpose. I'd argue that the poll found respondents who were more liberal and less conservative are all based on the differences in the type of area respondents say they live. The percentage of those polled describing themselves as living in urban, far more likely to have a more liberal outlook than those in other areas. Regardless of the party affiliation, rose from twenty four percent in July to twenty eight in October. Meanwhile, those saying they lived in suburban areas, which are usually relatively more conservative, drop from fifty to forty three. Partially but not completely offsetting the two differences just noted, the rural percentage of the sample rose from 23 to 27. The October 2017 poll betrayed additional evidence supporting the notion that its respondents were more liberal than in previous poll. The liberal conservative moderate crutching, which was removed, was effectively replaced by strong moderate lean. Democrat and Republican breakdown as reportedly party affiliation or sympathies. Only 8% of the poll respondents described themselves as strong Republican. That's laughably absurd. After all poll cooking, the AP still couldn't come up with the result clearly wanting to show more support for gun control. Nothing has changed. They want tougher. They don't want new laws. Because everybody already knows we're not enforcing the laws we have. You can ban ARs. You can ban bullets. It's not going to change anything. Jimmy Carter makes our stats. Media hard on Trump. Feel free to claim without hesitation he is mentally deranged. I think the media has been harder on Trump than any other president, certainly, that I've known about. I think they feel free to claim that Trump is mentally deranged and everything else without hesitation. Exact quote. That's Jimmy fucking Carter. You can't get any more liberal than him. Well, you could with Obama. There's a 5,000-mile-long river in the sky to deliver heavy rain feet of snow to the northwest. It's already started. It's already over the top of us. We got three inches of rain last night. But I thought that was an interesting stat. 5,000-mile-long storm system. Sweet God. Also in the crazy, because we talked about expensive coffee last time, $1,000 bagel. Is back in New York. It's got all the white truffle cream cheese topped with goji berry infused rice-ling jelly and flanked with gold leaves. It's one grand with tip. Wowzers. Chelsea Handler gets our stats of the day because she got fired by Netflix allowing her to spin it as she's moving on to do more protesting. I shit you fucking not. And a really good one that came out this week, which would have been Trumped, like, to the front. It would have been the first thing I covered. But the gun one was more important with all this crazy shit going on. Almost half of voters believe media make up stories about Trump. Poll reveals. Politico and morning Consult. Nearly half of American voters distrust the media's reporting on Trump and his administration. Not only that, but they believe journalists deliberately fabricate stories about Trump. More surprisingly, it's not just Republicans or Trump supporters. And Politico revealed that 76% of Republicans believe the media make up stories and a whopping 44% of independents and one in five Democrats believe the media lies in the reporting about Trump. 46% of the respondents, a majority, say they're making it up. But remember, remember, just remember, there's no liberal media. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. To a music break, more Halloween sounds. Segment one, the pumpkin spice vacation of America. I told you we'd have some fun.
3: poking at the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed
9: come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic
13: booze there's a bar in far bombay come on and fly with me let's fly let's fly away Starbucks pumpkin
7: spice lattes have become an American tradition for many. People guzzle tens of millions of them every year. Could it be, though, that they are racist? You probably hadn't thought of that, but you may not be a member of the feminist group Ultraviolet. They said in a tweet that, quote, that favorite fall drink of yours is funding rent payments to white supremacy. The claim is based on Starbucks franchises located in properties owned by the Trump administration. There's one in Trump Tower. Now, gibbon Daly is a feminist and a psychotherapist, and she joins us tonight. So, now I think of this show as not just a cable news show, but also a visual record of the times we're living in, the insanity of the Cultural Revolution now in progress in 2017. And this segment is going to be one that people 50 years from now watch with mouths agape. How can pumpkin spice latte be a white supremacist beverage? Fill me in as a non-feminist.
3: I I understand. I know this whole big pumpkin spice latte controversy. So this group, Ultraviolet, came out, which is a feminist organization, and said that they want people to boycott buying pumpkin spice lattes in branches that are located in retail locations that are in Trump Tower, um, essentially in midtown Manhattan.
1: I couldn't start this segment without that segment from uh, Tucker Carlson. We played it about, what, 10, 15, 20 podcasts ago. The people that came up with this dumb shit are the same ones that now say, it's racist. But this was a funny opinion piece, or I think it's funny. <clears throat> and it was prompted by my better half one day saying, yeah, we're going to start carrying pumpkin spice dog food. Yeah, that's that's real dog food and i found it in the daily mail we regret to inform you that pumpkin spice has gone too far they made a pumpkin spice pizza i said sadly as the news reached my screen i suppose we'll have to write about it we talked to a doctor of threesomes about how to have the perfect threesome there are many wonderful things about being a journalist Apart from the occasional death threats and the fact that none of your friends trust you because you turned their relationship issue into content one time. But one of the few less lovely parts is the number of times a year that you're given to cause, given cause to write the words pumpkin spice insert thing. Now a thing is irritating enough within itself, but cataloging the litany of things that have been flavored with pumpkin spice, it's the pits. The pumpkin flavor pits. Note to self, is there a pumpkin spice deodorant? Should I be writing about it? Anyway, I realize no one cares about how journalists feel. Just read the comments below literally anything I've written if you're in doubt about that. But it needed to be said. The idea that you can attach a pumpkin spice to something and then everyone will be excited about it is both exhausting, ridiculous, and completely painfully true. Obviously, pumpkin spice pizza is a bad idea. Pizza is perfect as it is. Pizza did not need to be cooked or uh, cocked around with, especially not by sprinkling a perfect benign spice. (laughs) Sorry, I had a page flip. Mix on it. It makes the pizza worse, and it means that anyone in within a 50-mile radius who is wearing Ugg boots or a pair of Lululemon leggings will be magnetically compelled to travel towards it, ingest it, and make comments about how bad they've been to eat pizza. (laughs) And then Instagram, the entire ridiculous charade. Now, I personally have nothing against pumpkin spice. Actually, that's not true. I didn't used to have anything against pumpkin spice. I now have a passionate hatred for it and everything it represents. But in terms of flavor, I get it. It tastes nice. It's cozy. It's higgy in a cup. I don't know what higgy is. must be a British term. It's just cinnamon and nutmeg, for fuck's sake. But humans, particularly middle-class white ones, have an astonishing ability to ruin nice things. First of all, we realize that a cup of quiet... Quiet, sweet coffee with some cinnamon and nutmeg in it was a lovely treat on a cool autumn day. Then somehow it had become a defining characteristic. We called it PSL. We made lip balms that tasted a bit like it, but with a strong aftertaste of aspartame. Before long, a load of chubby men wearing suits and a big glass skyscraper were standing around a flip chart trying to work out what they can make pumpkin spice what they could put pumpkin spice in to make you idiots want it literally anything was their answer and so that was what they did, and we lapped it up pumpkin spiced Oreos, pumpkin spice bath bombs, pumpkin spice sodding Cheerios, which I've had they're not bad. I would love to be able to get it together to do a feminist rant about how hating PSL is a sexist because a specific type of very feminine woman is associated with it. But honestly, my arms are too tired from writing about pumpkin spice stuff to be able to reach my feminist rant hat. We did the same thing with prosci- prosciutto. Someone wa- worked worked out that prosciutto tasted quite nice, if a bit sweet, and was cheaper prosecco i'm sorry i screwed that all up prosecco it it was like cheap and was cheaper than champagne or broadly speaking the same thing so we all started drinking it and then we ruined it we have to have blue prosecco prosecco in a can prosecco flavored nail varnish we're literally incapable of enjoying something in a nice moderate way and that's to become an all-consuming character-defining obsession a craze We've basically never grown out of trading Pokemon cards or playing with Pogs. So please, 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 I beg of you, stop caring about Pumpkin Spice. Stop reading about it. Stop acting like it's interesting or relevant or important. And then we'll be able to stop writing about it. Please. P.S. The point in this article was to tell you what a pizzeria in America, which probably isn't where you live, is doing a pumpkin spice pizza, which you will probably never eat, in the hope that you might tag your friends in it with relatively unfunny joke about how basic you are. You can read more about this pizza on their website, but I will be extremely disappointed if you do. I think that's pretty goddamn funny. There's about 40 articles out there for pumpkin spice and how we need to stop. Pumpkin Spice. I've seen, like I said, the dog food. Air fresheners. Every type of cereal. Cookie. I saw Pumpkin Spice bread. Pumpkin Spice tea. Chai. Latte. Coffee. Coffee creamer. Enough. We don't need any more Pumpkin Spice. We just don't need it. I mean... I wish the craze would be chestnut praline. I did turn into a yuppie and lose my goddamn ever-loving mind last year on chestnut praline latte at Starbucks. My wife bought me one because I always just drink peppermint mocha. I have peppermint creamer in the coffee I'm about to slurp on air. It's tasty. I like it. Call me queer. I don't care. I used to have mocha coffee mocha out in the field in the Army. I had it all the time. I would save an MRE coffee packet, or about 40 of them, and I'd save a cocoa packet. And on a certain day, when it wasn't too bad, or we weren't going to move out the crack of dawn, or in combat, when we weren't under com- contact, I would dig a little hole, get some sternotabs, boil some fucking water, and make my mocha. I was happy. I was in my happy spot. I actually have a funny story about running a PZ in the late 90s and running across the PZ with a honey bun in my mouth, holding my freshly brewed mocha while an Apache came late, and I had to go land it because I was in charge of the PZ. And the gunner watched me through his thermals and laughed his ass off when he got out of the helicopter saying, you never spilled a drop as you ran 200 meters across the fucking PZ. And I said, nope, it's my freshly brewed mocha, and I made it one. We enjoyed it together. It was happy times. But we need to stop with this, and we also need to stop with this segment.
4: Now to a story of a terrible misunderstanding. A word of warning, this scene may look graphic, but it's not real. It's actually just a very early Halloween decoration in Greene County, Tennessee, made of clothes stuffed with paper understandably neighbors thought this was a crime scene and they called the sheriff homeowner joseph Lovergive was behind the prank
7: i was actually going to dress up under there after everyone's seen it for so long and then when they come out to get drinks or something pop up out of the garage door and scare
13: everybody
4: well he did just that just not in the way he intended the officers even pulled a boot off the decoration to make sure it wasn't real
1: I thought that story was funny as shit, because I am married to a Halloween freak. I have three $300 each animatronic little fucking decorations, as much tombstones as most people need in a lifetime. we built them out of pallets. We have lights, and we just bought a lightning light that will douse our entire house in lightning come Halloween. But this young lady, Georgie Borman... She doesn't like it, and she wrote this article. I don't care if it's Halloween. Your gruesome and tacky yard decorations are sick and rude. Nothing will make me like your blow-up, witch or on a castle. Why can't people pile a bunch of pumpkins on their stoop and call it good? About halfway through October, I'm beset with a strong urge to become a totalitarian. Over the past two do- weeks... Dozens of houses in my neighborhood have become draped in felt spiderweb, obscured by gigantic inflatable witches, and literally ornamented with shrunken heads, skeletons, and tattered ghosts. Like a werewolf under full moon, I turn nastier than the ghouls that plague my quiet suburban development. Halloween decor makes me want to band together with a bunch of petty conformists and start a homeowner's association. And I hate HOAs. Sure, all our trim must be the exact shade of eggshell white, and we must, mustn't must ever allow chicken coops. But at least my street would be free of Halloween-themed lawn garbage at last. Don't get me wrong. Colorful gourds and straw scarecrows and leafy fall wreaths are adorable. I even smile at the occasional buck-tooth grin of a jack-o'-lantern, and and I decorate the inside of my own house for fall. But if my neighbors don't like my fake fall bouquet and the paper leaves I sprinkle on my mantle, they don't have to see them. They're inside my house. I'm not just just hating on Halloween for its obvious pagan roots. You can make Easter an Christmas tacky, too. You put a little effort into achieving that goal. But there is something sentimental and goofy about cheap Santa merchandise that, call me crazy, I don't think you can get from a mutilated zombie statue. Halloween's inherent tackiness. Tackiness just comes naturally to Halloween. What else would you expect from a modern secular holiday, the chief end of which is obtaining buckets full of mass-produced candy, getting the snot scared out of you, and snapping pictures of your ridiculous costumes, depending on your age? Halloween is a tacky holiday. I'm not saying tacky can't be fun. Or that fun should never be tacky. Kids have loads of fun playing dress-up and exhorting candy from their neighbors. Babies look outrageously cute as flowers or strawberries or teddy bears. But there's nothing on this earth that will make me like your blow-up witch or haunted castle, and we've already read it. The only thing worse than this horror show decor is in putting said decor up a month before Halloween. Why can't people put a pile of pumpkins on their stoop and call it good? Are we so tacky we have to start the festivities when the Disney Channel starts the 31 days of Halloween countdown. Does seasonal decor have to include those creepy faces that sit in the bushes to scare the kids who come trick-or-treating? Halloween keeps getting more gruesome. Halloween has taken a sharp turn towards the explicitly gruesome in recent years, the same turn TV fiction has taken. For some reason, people think it's acceptable to raid their homes with all manners of symbols and graphic depictions of evil, even on streets populated by young families. Decency, it seems, is deader than the decaying corpse you propped up on your porch swing. This problem of indecency isn't unique to decor. People get weird when they don costumes, even the ones that don't make you look like a prostitute. Halloween is an excuse for young adults to indulge in defacement of property, cruel pranks, drunkenness, and debauchery. all at least to be amused watch other people do such things in real life or in fiction. Halloween is an opportunity to give it to the dark side and no one feels bad about it. But why exactly? Because the license to be an idiot expires on dawn, November 1? This trend doesn't just indicate the decency is dead, of course. It suggests that the ordinary kind of evil is very much alive and is given a special opportunity to manifest itself on Halloween. There's a bit of irony from Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I often think about this time of year. Guile says that the force of darkness takes the night off on Halloween because it becomes an idiotic cliché. Halloween is cliched because it celebrates darkness and evil with the same tropes and imaginary over and over, but it's idiotic because it's all tacky make-believe. It doesn't matter much if you don't believe in supernatural evil. Decking your home in the representation is either celebrating them in that you believe the ability to instill terror is a power worth summoning or, almost as disturbing, casually turning evil into amusement. As my colleague, James medzger spelled jame s-j-a-y-m-e you're weird when people have no deeper meaning in suffering or hope for life after death sometimes they try to cope by making death and suffering a joke is there value in a creepy front porch at least putting a cartoon frankenstein monster out on the lawn is sort of literary reference but what is the merit including ghouls and gore in your home halloween ensemble Is there value in Fright Night and causing fear for its own sake and not making a greater point about the nature of evil or how to overcome it, as we see, for instance, in better horror films? If your idea is to mock the occult and show its impotence, you pick the most superficial and easily misunderstood way in which to do it. Before you reach for your robotic mummy collection, think about it. If you're doing this just to out-decorate your neighbor, the tackiness and fright factor should be enough to turn you off from Halloween decorations. If you're doing it because your affinity for darkness and the adrenaline high you and others get for being scared, think on whether that is a good thing. Don't allow, but everyone else is doing it to be an excuse. Tackiness will be us through all seasons, unfortunately, but you don't have to take part in the worst of it. That's a real article from Salon. I'm about to rant. Halloween is fun. It's fun to get scared. It's fun to decorate your house. It's fun to be festive. Since our country is so serious and partisan and divided that everything is political and you can't even watch a goddamn football game not to bring up an old wound, Without some politics interjected, you can't watch TV without Trump's a fucking devil and Obama's a god. You can't get away from the social justice warrior craziness that's going on in our country. I think people decorate their houses early for Halloween and for Thanksgiving and for Christmas to have some fun. I think it's cool when I see people deck their house out in ghouls. It's awesome. The kids like it. This little millennial fucking moron that wrote this damn article has never probably decorated. Let me bestow some wisdom in her, even though she'll never hear my podcast. My wife does this every year for the kids. We never go super scary. And then one year we tried to dial it back a bit. A young lady walked up with little kids. And she said, what happened? It's so small this year. I bring my kids here because I came here as a kid. It's tradition. It's fun. We have kids come to our house. We live rural. We have 150 kids every Halloween, get a bag with like 10 pieces of candy, some toys, some stickers in it. We go all out because it's tradition and it's one night for everybody to dress up and have some goddamn fun. So lighten up, fucking Nancy, to the next segment. My fellow citizens, I stand here today
9: humbled by the task before us
1: on
12: january twentieth two thousand nine president obama was inaugurated the theme of the inauguration was a new birth of freedom it included a symbolic train ride from philadelphia to washington in the same vein as President Abraham Lincoln's trip to Washington in 1861. It symbolized the peaceful transition of power from George W. Bush to Barack Obama, and also this image of a young African-American man with his wife and his two daughters by his side taking the oath of office was was profound. It was in a, in a way the realization of Martin Luther King's
9: dream.
13: Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty,
9: we are free at night. I go out to Saint Obama I do solemnly swear that I will execute the office of President to the United States faithfully. That I will execute the off- faithfully the, pres- the office of President of the United The office United of President States. of the United States faithfully. And will, to the best of my ability... And will, to the best of my ability... Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. President.
1: With all this, Obama's a god, and we wish Obama was the president. I saw something from FactCheck.org, and we covered some of this. And excuse the cat purring of that comes up on the. I don't know if it's going to come back on playback, but it's a cold day. The first cold day. In Tennessee, it's like 52 outside and raining, and we were 80 yesterday, and we will stay cold for the rest of the week, and fall is finally here, have our first free Sunday, and I will break the cherry on the wood stove and bust out some wood and take the dogs out in the woods with our Eskimo suits on, because the longer I've stayed in Tennessee, the worse I am at cold weather. I used to be able to handle Alaska, Korea, the Hindu fucking kush. But it gets to 40 degrees here now, and I am sniveling with a cup of coffee behind a stove. So, um, anyway, um, she's purring, so deal with it. Um, we are um, really playing if Obama was president, things would be better. And factcheck.org had this video, found it on Twitter. It's Obama by the numbers. So I wanted to play that little interlude about, oh, the anointed one. But here's the reality. During his tenure, there were 15 million more people who got health insurance, not 25 like they said, it was 15, but simultaneously 43% premium hike across the board for those that were paying for their health care. That's everybody, including yours truly, on supposed to be free for life, oh wait a minute Bill Clinton, take that away. And dental for my family. And oh yeah, I got to pay. And my premiums went up 43%. 10.7 more pe- million people went on food stamps under Obama. The last time we had a Democratic president, he fixed that ship. Not Obama. He added more people. 33% increase. And it peaked in 2012 at 47.8 million people on food stamps under Obama. Yeah, 2012, folks. So that's not the recession. Household income only increased 5.3%. 11.5 million jobs were added, but the majority of them were temporary jobs and minimum wage jobs. We talked about how he's the job president. Remember, this is fact check. This is not Drudge, Freibart, Infowars. That is less than any president post-World War II, and even less than Jimmy Carter. They bragged that gas production went up 77%. Problem was coal went down 40%. There was 200% increase in gun production under President Obama. Crime went down 10.5% and robberies down 30. Murders increased though. So did mass shootings. He increased corporate profits by 59%. Even though he was talking about the middle class, he shrunk the middle class and he helped Wall Street. Kind of go against his little speeches, right? A 25 increase on Social Security disability. He made a lot of lawyers rich as they went out to get people more profits. He had the lowest worker participation level of any other president. I think his last number was 95 million Americans are not in the workforce. 95. On top of that, fast and furious, GSA, IRS scandal, VS, VA, excuse me. All under his watch, even though he said he was going to fix it. Benghazi. ISIS was formed. BLM was formed at his behest. Hillary's server, which he knew about because he was getting emails. Russia. If it's so true, liberals, that Russia happened and Trump colluded with Russia, that was Obama's watch he did nothing and now the uranium one cover up i ask you how was he the greatest president ever i really want to know if we go back to the last time we had a uber liberal on our show as Paige in oregon she said he loved she loved him he was a great president I still don't know how he's a great president. I can't find the quantitative facts to show that this man was a great president when at the end of the day nothing really improved. He he did not improve anything under his time. So, that's just some food to, for thought. Okay, and then we had a late entry. I wanted to make it a, se- a section, and I was going to play protesters saying, well, you know what, Let- I'm going to play it in the background. Let's have some fun for a second. Okay, so this is a real article, and I, I want to get in character because I think this is really important, and it came from Slate's blog Um and these are serious guys over here. They seriously have some grievances. The United States of America. And it just starts with my liberal white male rage. What should I do about it? I've been fantasizing about punching Nazis and more. Am I a solution or part of the problem? This is a blow and it was written in August, but I just found it. And I think it, you know, it's some serious stuff. So we're going to insert, we will overcome in the background. Okay, now turn to page 43 of the handbook. We need to talk about lockdown drills in case of an intruder. I'm a teacher at an all-girls school. We're always cautious about predators. A young white man with short, light hair walks into the courtyard. One of our administrators, Mindy, steps out to ask him what he's doing on campus as is protocol. Mindy is in her mid-50s, a black woman with short, straight hair and teal glasses. Why these details matter? Who gives a fuck? The man looks at her and, without a word, punches her across the face. I'm staring from just inside. I sprint out, and before he even sees me, I choke slam him against the wall, crushing his throat with my hand. I shove him against the wall and start punching left, right. I throw him down and hammer my knees into his shoulders, pinning him to the ground. His arms are splayed, and he still stares at me silently. He hasn't said a word the whole time. In fury, I grab the front of his hair and slam the back of his head into concrete. Kind of like what Trayvon Martin did to Zimmerman. Oh, wait a minute, that's me speaking. It makes an awful noise and I can feel blood on his scalp. I do it again. Mindy is still on the ground, but it's looking at me shocked. I tell her to come over and check to make sure he doesn't have any weapons and then to call the police. I notice behind her, there's a group of students standing in the doorway of the school aghast, clutching their binders, the same one that Mitt Romney had. That throws me out of they look at me with admiration and horror. It really helps to remember the acronym ALICE for steps, alert, lockdown, inform, counter, evacuate. Oh, counter is the fourth step. I guess choke slam shouldn't be the first approach. Then I run through the fantasy again. I'm a left-wing white guy and a Jew. Since Charlottesville, I've noticed more strange changes in myself. At work, I spaced out for 20 minutes at a time during meetings, daydreaming about committing violence, always righteously in overdramatic, obnoxious, heroic ways, with a very troubling overtone of white savorism. In addition to saving the girl from the male predator with my brute strength and righteous rage, I've had another recurring fantasy of saving the passengers on a plane hijacked by 9-11-S terrorists. I tackle an armed hijacker, turn his gun on him, immediately inspire the other passengers to team up to distract the terrorists, and then deftly fire bullets into all three terrorists' heads. Dark blood drips down their noses from the wounds on their foreheads. If the meeting is particularly boring, I'll concoct pre. pre-mutations, new endings, because it just feels so damn good, like a dopamine rush of sex fanny, fantasy. I don't think I'm alone. I sporadically tend an anti-racist, anti-sexist white male group. Yep, those exist. I came into the week's meeting brooding, emotionally tumult, eyes boring into the ground, irked by the benign tone of the conversation. It's time for my check-in. My heart pounds and I think I might cry, then when I divulge, I get nods. Bodies lean forward, face get red, energy rise. What I share, I'm furious and upset. I feel trapped in my rage. All these impulses I've tried to tame over the years. Because the aggressive, brash, self-righteous feeling polluted everything from my activism to my romantic life. I'm being provoked by these fucking assholes, these men. And I want to lash out, punch back. But I don't think that's what we need to do right now. What anyone
13: needs to right now.
1: Isn't that just the same patronizing happer masculine bullshit that lets these fucking Nazis think they have the right to make others feel so terrible, to threaten, kill? I mean, I don't want to replicate that. That's the master's tools, right? Also, I'm scared. I mean, what if one of them bring a gun? Just one assault rifle. I saw a civilian carry an assault rifle in Arizona scare the shit out of me. So I feel doubly trapped. I don't want to do what's selfishly best for me, beating the shit out of one of these guys, note the assumption that I could. And I also don't want to die. So in that way, I also feel like, and it's only word that makes sense to me, a pussy. I mean, after Trump was elected, I thought I might be fighting a totalitarian regime that would be locked up activists and journalists. And perhaps it seems hyperbolic, but I keep thinking, if I came to it, would I be willing to die for a cause? The way some non-Jews hid Jews during World War II. Would I have that courage? Or at the end of the day, am I too afraid? Selfish, weak, not a real man. I look up, damn, say the white men, eyebrows raised but nodding. One man jumps up. He had been at the last scrap with the alt-right when they came to town. He says that he probably should have been throwing punches, but he found out that he just wasn't that kind of guy but he was able to have some conversations with them. He said that one alt rightist said, if someone can dominate you, that means they are superior to you. The aspiring anti-racist, anti-sexist white guy said he didn't even know where to go from there. If there is a political philosophy that embodies the worst of masculinity, it is neo-Nazism. So what to do with this conflicted rage? Can it be made useful for a movement? Or is it inherent self-centered and destructive? I don't mean to comment on the diversity of tactics or the Antifa or black bloc. That is far more complex issue. I've been told that Antifa has physically fended off neo-Nazis who have attempted to enter people's homes and raids and predominantly black neighborhoods. Verified by nobody, because then he says unverified. But even if that instance is false, the point is that there can be physical intervention that is the product of strategy or defense or care. The physical compulsions I'm feeling are purely from rage, a hunger for violence, and vengeance. You threat me, I fuck you up. The concept deepens because the spike in racist, sexist, anti-Semitic, xenophobic, homophobic hate crimes have compounded an ire that can easily found fuel from regular non-Nazi men out there. Yeah, none of them are actually true. There's no cases of any of this. Recently, I was frustrated at a locksmith. I'd come to a storefront twice during business hours, and he was closed. Even if I got a hold of him on the phone, I left an overly polite, perturbed voicemail. Then I called again a minute later, thinking I might get him. I still needed a key. Copied. No answer. I got a call a moment later from an unknown number. Why do you keep calling me, you fucking faggot? I'm sorry, what? Why do you keep calling me, you fucking faggot? I hung up. He called back. He kept calling me a fucking faggot. I told him that this is crazy and that I'm going to write on Yelp with what he's saying. Hope this isn't your personal number, he said. I asked if he was threatening me. He texted me a moment later with a link to Yelp page for nonprofit, the nonprofit that I run. Let me know when you want to act like a big boy. We wear big boy shoes over here. Don't call the harass business is not a good idea. It's a small example, but it was a similar feeling, caught, trapped. I wanted to say, fuck it. I believe what he said was wrong, and other people should know about it. And I'm not scared of this random guy. But damn, if you post something messed up on your Yelp page, even if it's totally made up, that could affect our your reputation and end up really affecting our organization, our employees, and the families we serve. Also, if he's really some lunatic who knows what else he might do, after all, he can pretty easily figure out who I am, and I have a lot of other public profiles on the Internet. Fuck! Anger held hostage. If I strike back, it's me selfishly putting my anger above the needs of others, and it might only make problems worse. It's not like I have changing this guy's mind at the forefront, but I just can't stand that he walks away with message, that he can call people slurs, bully them, call out their masculinity, and then get what he wants. And this goes on for ten more pages until it ends with... Should I continue to step back, manage my socialized masculine impulses of presumptuous arrogant aggression? Or should I harness them or simply let loose as much as my courage will allow? These men are coming soon here and everywhere. Maybe see you there and seen. Yeah, that's real. I didn't manufacture any of that. And before I rant about how wrong that is, I'm just going to read some of the responses. Lucy for liberty. Number one, face it, Abe, your pathetic excuse for a man. You have a warped idea of what a man is. I don't know what happened to you make you this way, but you're fucked up. Two, Southie. Backslash, backslash, backslash. I stopped about three paragraphs in. Couldn't do it. I have limits to how embarrassed I can be for someone else. Jane Eyre, SP Jonesy1. I'm 100% sure the guy who wrote this couldn't come close to defending himself in the situation he fantasizes about. Eric, Elaine1013. Have some coffee, Nancy. <laughs> and slough Fag. I'm not making that up. Slow Fag's the handle. Goes by Space Pirate. Bake a cake, knit a sweater, volunteer at a homeless shelter, write stupid poetry, cry, make stuff up. You know, the normal stuff. Did you catch anywhere in there how many times he fantasizes about shit that isn't true? And talks about all the xenophobia and hate that's happening? makes up a story about somebody calling him a fag on the phone. This is what's wrong with the Democratic Party. The fight it in the street. People are going to have to bleed. The struggle goes on, even though there is no struggle. All the false reporting that all of a sudden just stopped the moment local news started reporting that there was no sexist assaults. People yelling, Trump won, go fuck yourself, build a wall, and all this shit. There's been very few instances. There's been a shitload of Antifa beating the fuck out of people, Black Lives Matter ripping people out of cars, and beating the fuck of them because they're just fucking white and shit. And that stopped. Russia, Russia, Russia! That stopped when we found out Russia's Hillary. Do you see what you're doing to sick, demented people? Secondly, this gentleman fantasizing about Trayvon Martining somebody just because they disagree with them. That sums up Antifa in a nutshell. Very few Antifa people I've seen haven't been a bony little fuck who took a couple karate lessons with a bunch of fucking tats on them, some badass tattoo or t-shirts, and a goddamn skull cap looking like a badass. It's a made-up thing. There are no more fucking races today than there were when Barack Obama is in office. White supremacy isn't coming for anybody. The only difference is the media turned the spotlight and sought them out. They gave Richard Spencer and the other douchebags like him a megaphone to talk so they could beat Trump up with it. They didn't give the megaphone to Antifa, who said, no USA at all, let's go socialist, that's an interesting just if you think about it. But there's some sick people out there. And they're sick now, because, once again, I will Infowars for a second. I totally believe Vegas is a Democrat. I believe he's a Democrat. I've said it on the show, he's no different than Hodgkinson, or Hodgkins. He's got an assassination list, and it was anybody who wasn't a liberal. How do I know I'm pretty close on that? Because you and I haven't heard shit about it. That shit got buried deep sixed. We know nothing about it. And there's a reason we know nothing about it. Just like Hodgkins went off the fucking news. The left doesn't want to hurt themselves. But the fact that the guy, once again, to get back to my point as I segue left and right, is fantasizing about beating people up, fantasizing about this boogeyman coming towards him, shows that there is problems on the left, and it's out of fucking control. It's not the right attacking people. It's not the right going out and attacking people. Nobody conservative is running around going, let's go find a fag and beat him. Let's go, let's go sling some Negroes. That's not happening. But the machine, the media, which is the mouthpiece for the Democratic National Committee, and Hillary and company, electioned and campaigned for one fucking year that the boogeyman is coming. They scared the shit. And a whole generation of fucking pumpkin spice sipping fucks like that idiot who wrote that article, and eventually they're going to do real harm to somebody just because they happen to be wearing a mega hat, an NRA hat, Or looking white male or something. I went to war. I didn't fantasize by killing people. Yet we did. It's not like I laid in bed going, I can't wait to get some pink mist on the first motherfucking raghead I saw. And that was war. This isn't a war. But the left is turning it Into a war. Hate thy neighbor. Hate anybody who doesn't vote like you. Eventually, that's going to have really bad consequences. To one last spooky music break and news, social media nuggets.
3: Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
1: take corner for today uh cut off. Soft stuff today, I wanted to cover something a little bit different to go with the theme of the podcast after the first hour and some odd of gnashing teeth. First look at Thank You for Your Service. Thank You for Your Service delivers a strong message about the struggles faced by men and women dealing with PTSD, and we've got an exclusive clip, and I didn't want to play it, I'm I'm going to wait till I watch the movie, based on the best-selling book by David Finkel, the film is based on the real stories of men of Army 2nd Battalion, 16th Infantry Regiment after their return from service in Iraq. Writer-director Jason Hall was previously nominated for Oscar for his American Sniper screenplay and in his new movie continues his insight into the family and personal struggles faced by those who serve. Miles Teller plays Adam Schumann. In this scene from the film, he visits his buddy, Michael Emery, played by Scott Hayes. Adam feels guilty because he dropped Michael after Michael was shot in battle and Adam was was carrying him to safety. Now Michael is struggling with the war injuries and talks to Adam about how he feels. Thank you for your service. Opens in theaters on October 27th. Next week, we'll have an in-depth video interview with Jason Hall, Michael Teller, and Adam Schumann at Military.com if you're interested. I'm gonna watch it, but I'm gonna wait till it comes home because more often than not in these kind of movies I will shed a tear a few, as most vets do, and I really don't want to do that in public. Another quick article is Tyler Gray is now the Ranger helping the SEAL team. Large article on military dot com is very interesting about how he's really been able to get in depth and cover um their military isms to make sure it's locked in. It's not just a bunch of grab bullshit, which sometimes is, is the case in these movements, or uh, these movies. So, um, thought that was neat that it's a real ranger. And the last one we had is five veteran tattoos that define war ink. If a picture's worth a thousand words and a veteran tattoo tells dramatic tale, the pain and perseverance that inspired them. War ink is a stunning online exit exhibit. That uses tattoo art to spark conversation with Iraq and Afghan war veterans about their time in combat and the fallen comrades they lost along the way. The San Francisco Bay Area Contra Costa County Library, Contra Costa? I don't know. County Library launched a project in conjunction with StoryCorps Military Voices Initiative, which include photographer, photographer John, Joan Wolf and filmmaker Rebecca Murga. We'll listen to a quick soundbite on this, which I thought was really interesting, because uh, I have a military centric uh, tattoo myself. And then we're going to go into the crazy.
5: I served in Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait, South Korea.
1: A sergeant
10: in the United States Marine Corps, and I served in Iraq. I was a sergeant in the Marine Corps, and I served in Iraq and Afghanistan. <music>
8: chances for
2: people to talk about iraq or afghanistan but i don't think there have been a lot of chances for veterans themselves to talk about what those experiences were in their own voice in a way that doesn't have a politically charged
6: message people always want to know when they ask you about like your
7: experiences and stuff like that i started to think of tattoos as a way to tell the stories So I got a soldier's cross tattooed on my back for my friends that died because I carried the burden of survivor's guilt. It's a tribute to those that are no longer here, but it also serves
0: as a reminder to maintain my humanity and the experiences that I've been through,
7: where I am now, and how that's going to shape who I become in the future. I hadn't really accepted that I had fully come home
11: Because I, I knew men
7: who died, There's was a part of me that, that died up there. I feel really alone in this world. I feel like, you know, no one understands and no one gets it, and that's okay, I can deal with that.
10: I feel kind of
13: lost, you know, like it's,
10: like when all of those things that are really important to you all of a sudden disappear. When your path isn't like exactly in front of you like it has been for so many years, then it's easy just to get really lost and kind of question who you are and, and why you're doing anything anymore. It helps the civilian world kind of understand a little bit more about us, that we have thought processes behind our tattoos, behind what we do. The clouds are like the angel rays coming down, and it's my feet. They're my Chuck Taylors with wings, so it's like my feet going to heaven. Every day's hard, but I kind of just accepted it and just make try to make the best of what I got. I'm not dead, you know. like
1: I'm always the class is half full kind of person. So we're not all crazy.
2: Some of us are hopeless romantics. No, just most of us are generally just funny guys and ridiculously good looking. <laughs>
12: Yeah, people are very quick to judge when they hear military tattoos, which is a shame, in my opinion.
10: Opening communication between veterans and civilians, that that communication's hard. I'm starting to realize that it's an important thing to do.
7: I feel like there might be one other veteran out there who might understand me. And if that makes them feel not so alone, then this whole project's worth it.
14: And the only sense of family I've ever felt was when I was in the Navy. And it's the most powerful feeling I've ever felt.
7: I feel like I belong. I smiled a lot today. I don't usually smile a lot. It made me pretty happy, and I'm not usually very happy. I felt a little more beautiful than I normally ever feel. I feel like a disgusting person. most of the time. Today kind of took all that away from me. It really meant a lot to me. I couldn't have asked for a
13: better day.
1: sadly we start our crazy off with police teacher violently assaulted after school hit with brick to the face a pittsburgh public school teacher was seriously injured after officials say she was followed in her car and assaulted after school allegedly in dispute over a child's cell phone you know shit district has a no cell phone policy. The teacher identified as 46-year-old Janice Watkins confiscated a phone for a fourth-grade girl who then allegedly bit her. Sources say the student's parents came to school with the mother, allegedly telling the teacher she was going to get even. Sources say the girl's parent then followed Watkins in her car, and waited for, uh, as she went to get a bite wound checked. According to police, the assault happens around 315 in the busy intersection of Route 65 and West End teacher white, assailants black, we didn't hear about it, not saying all black people are violent, put your freaking pens down libs, I'm just saying the media drops it like a fucking hot potato, intoxicated United Airlines passenger peed on seatmate mid-flight, lawsuit claims, I'm not making that shit up, dude came on the plane, was fucking drunker than Cooter Brown, and pissed himself. His neighbor got covered in piss. The, the, air, the, fucking the fucking airline didn't seem to give a fuck. Sweet God. How do you get on a plane, pass out, and piss? I've had buddies not admitted because they looked too drunk. Interesting. To go with the first story, this is why things are fucking crazy and I keep saying put your shit down. Most millennials, Gen Z adults, prefer texting over talking in person. Like we needed a study. They did one. A new survey finds that 7 and 10 millennials and younger Gen Z's prefer to communicate digitally, mostly by text messages than in person. Researchers at Live Person, a business solution provider, polled more than 4,000 adults under between, adults under between age 18 and 34. What the fuck? That doesn't even make sense. In a handful of Western nations, the survey finds 7 in 10, and those who make up the younger Gen Z cohorts prefer communicating digitally. Globally, 65% of those survey indicate the talk to peers more frequently via texting or mobile, but that number is even higher in English-speaking nations. In both the United States and the United Kingdom, about 74% of millennials say they go digital. As for the tool of choice digital correspondence, 73% of Americans and 74% of U.K. prefer text messages. The number dipped to 69 globally. 62% would rather forget their wallet at home than their phone when going out. 70% of the participants said they sleep with an arm's length of their phone, and a hair more than a half said they check their phone for any notifications should they wake up in the middle of the night. When it comes to bathroom breaks, nearly 66% brought their device with them to the toilet, which highlights the ubiquity of connectivity. Large minorities believed it was fine to use their phone in context that would likely be considered improper by elders, such as at the dining table, 42%, middle of conversation, 28%. Nearly 70% of the group surveyed said they could see a future in which all purchases are made online, and most young consumers prioritize using technology when they needed assistance with a product or service. Sweet God, we're all going to fucking hell. To some college crazy. Covered the last podcast, now it's getting global, folks. Dorm display warns against cultural appropriation on Halloween, a bulletin board and urging students in Kent State University Residence Hall to stop cultural appropriation this Halloween by eschewing costumes based on other cultures. This one is fucking fantastic. It's just great. According to the display, culture appropriation occurs when someone adopts aspects of a culture that's not their own. In addition, it says the term also refers to a particular power dynamic in which members of a dominant culture take elements from a culture of people who have been systematically oppressed. They even got a huge flyer with pictures showing people... You shouldn't dress like this, you shouldn't dress like that, shouldn't dress like anything. I swear to God, before it's all said and done with the, f- you know, one segment we did about how tacky Halloween is, you're going to be oppressing zombies if you dress like a zombie. Playboy! Yeah, Playboy makes her crazy. Meet Ines Raou. I don't know the fuck kind of name Ines is. For Sweet Jesus what the fuck is that? Well, she's the she, he, it is the first transgender playboy, playboy playmate. Being a woman is just being a woman. Meet November 2017 playmate Inez Raou, the first transgender playmate. There's no nudity on the link above, they say, because the girl really doesn't, or it doesn't get naked. But here's the problem, Inez, which is a made-up name, Raou, you're a made-up woman. You still have your junk. You tucked for these photos, or so they say on the internet. So how can you be a woman if you're not a woman? I still ask that question of all these transgender people. How? No, get the cut. Come back and talk to me. But anyway, they, they go through this whole thing about she feels sorry for herself and yada, yada, yada. So what really happened from this is less me bashing this dude that dressed up like a girl and calls himself a, a woman. Everybody went after Jenna Jameson. So, Playboy just announced he'll be featuring his first transgender playmate. She smacked her face. Here it comes. Josie Stevens. Do you have a problem with that? And if so, why? Because I can't see an issue with it. Good for them. We'll let that just sit for a while. Josie, on other parts of the internet when I went to her Twitter page, is a feminist. Hmm when a current conservative says something, you're pissed off. But wouldn't that be cisnormative? I don't know. I have a problem with it, just like I have a problem with a transgender competing against a biological woman in sports. She said, in other tweet, there's plenty of young women that are real women would like to get in Playboy. And I think she has a point. She wasn't going transgenders or freaks, like I do occasionally on here. She was saying that they're taking a slot... That PC social justice slot—they're just gonna do to try to sell some more magazines of the shitty magazine that went non-naked and came back and whatever. Nobody reads it for the articles, but oh no no no, the left wasn't having it. Piffed! Shut up, ignorant woman! Has been old saggy crotch. Yeah, that's that's what a woman said. Modeling and sports are different. Playboy has never shied away from putting enhanced models in the magazine. Oh. Jenna Jameson responds, and women and men are two different things. See what I did there? Another one. Why you mad, old dusted, beat up hepatitis pussy? Jenna Jameson, once again the left uses the ruined vagina argument when it disagrees with my opinion. Thumbs down. Josie Stevens again. I have a problem with people being transphobic, and the irony of me, of you being so judgmental, is not lost on me. Good for you, Jenna Jameson. Just because I don't agree with a trans person being play play playboy. Doesn't mean I'm transphobic. People these days with all their phobics. Because I think it's setting fires to an iconic brand and pander into this ridiculous PC world we live in. Thank you. I have to agree with a porn star. What the fuck? Then somebody tried to shame her that all these trans people love you. And she responded, just because Miss USA won't let me compete because I'm an ex-porn star doesn't mean they don't love me. I love my gay and trans people. Shut the fuck up. Then, Playboy came back by the end of the week, standing on the right side of history. Extremely careless sums up what I like to say about this. Watches the NFL lose half its audience. Playboy, hold my beer. And then somebody would have been my second choice. A magazine that justifies women signals its virtue by objectifying a transgender model. How woke. And I think that's why I covered it. I give a fuck if they put a transgender on the cover or whatever. ESPN made a guy who didn't even chop his cock off yet. Bruce Jenner. Their hero of the year bullshit. Because he dressed in drag. It's so night. It's so 2015. All right. It's not even that fucking of a, it's not making a, st- you know, you know, virtue signaling is not something that's important at all. The point is, the left rallies behind it when any other time would be like, Oh, they're fucking a deck of fine titties! You fucking hypocrites. And right in line with all this comes what I was looking for. Didn't have to look for it. My wife sent it to me. Transgender charged with raping 10-year-old girl in, in bathroom. This dude, who was dressed in drag, looks about as womanly as I do. He didn't even give any effort. No makeup, nothing. A trial for a Wyoming transsexual accused of raping a 10-year-old girl in bathroom began on Monday. Miguel Martinez, a biological male, an illegal immigrant who identifies as a woman and goes by the name of Shell, allegedly invited the 10-year-old in a bathroom on March 23rd where he proceeded to grope her breasts, genitals and penetrator. That happened. Nobody cared. Jonathan Johnson tweeted something that made me really, really happy. Anderson, don't know first name, she's a female. She is from the University of K- UT Kentucky. Wrote a op-ed that the left went crazy over in Huffington Post. Dogging Ben Shapiro and his free speech tour. Her name was Misty Anderson. There it is. She never once even went to a speech. She wrote it and published it before he came to her school. It starts a little something like this. Ben Shapiro is the kind of person who talks about opening the door to civil, genuine conversation then slams in your foot and taunts you if you say, ouch. You have night at campus. The University of Tennessee is part of the well-funded cross-country campus speaking to her. That has included Berkeley, blah, blah, blah. Many of the attendees here in Knoxville were not students but members of the community. The audience was overwhelmingly male, and the story this morning was a dearth of protesters which had propelled them to spotlight Berkeley. Evidently, Knoxville homegrown good sense prevailed, and most decided not to give him any more attention. Ben Shapiro claims he stands for free speech and occasionally for civility, though one has to dig through an enormous pile of insults to get to the tiny pearl. He's attacked everything from Sesame Street and English majors, but his favorite targets are Black Lives Matter, Everyone Left to Center, and his amorphous category, Snowflakes. He's speaking to a sponsored by the Young American Foundation, a big-budget conservative youth organization that uses his outside money to coordinate and pay speakers who come to campuses. And I stop! I stop! Everything you do is outsourced. Most of the protests we've seen of Devos, of Trump, of Black Lives Matter, they're all trucked in. You truck in voters. You truck in voters. Needless to say, the whole world, other than the left, dogged the shit out of her, because this is once again like doing a review on a movie and not going. You don't even know what the fuck he said, yet you virtue singled. How bad he is, and how awesome you are as you tried to shut down his free speech. You fucking twat. I said it. Call me a sexist. Spook Annie. I will always call my black woman students first. Other POC get second tier priority. WW come next, and if I have to, white man. That's a teacher. University of Penn history teacher explains what social justice really means in university classes. Tom Nichols, this is not progressive stacking. This is straight up teaching malpractice. Michael Shermer, the order was reversed, and would this be called, this is bigotry of low expectation and disrespect for people of color. Nobody will ever do it. But the horrible thing is this. And this is just, it's it, it, it won't stop. It just won't stop. Had all this other crazy shit not happened this week, I would have started the show with this. Comprehensive sex education came to Jay Middle School in Oklahoma last week. I was a little taken back and disgusted. I was like, I was taken back, said 7th grade parent Stacy Go. I don't think types of sex that you can have is actually appropriate in a sex education class, he said. Mom, it's like instead of them telling us how to not to do it, it's like they gave us a roadmap. The page is now circling around on social media, causing outrage from parents and community members alike. This is not something appropriate for children to see, Jay resident Sharon Squir- Squire said. I am not supposed, I am not opposed to them having sex education, but things like this that I saw. I'm very much opposed to. Now, if anybody's still listening, California, or any of you progressive resistance members are out there, oh, fucking religious people. They're so fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. This isn't a Christian conservative problem. This was sent out with an X-rated warning. Because this is the question. These are the questions. Day two. What is sex... And is it safe? What is sex? When any blank of your body, from the top of your blank to the bottom of your blank, comes into contact with someone else's blank zones for sexual pleasure. Pleasure, once again. Probably shouldn't be on a middle school thing. But whatevs. I can get past that. I can't get past that. I don't know why anyone in the educational field thinks this is appropriate for school. One, mutual masturbation, blank to blank in the underwear zones. Two, oral sex, blank in underwear zones. Three, vaginal sex, blank of an underwear zone to the blank of an underwear zone. Anal sex, blank of an underwear zone. To the blank of an underwear zone. Let that sit for a second. Why the fuck do kids that are 12 years old need to know about mutual masturbation, oral sex, anal sex? Why? What justification could you ever have for 12-year-old kids not to take a test on that? It was a test. The article continues, I debated for three days about putting this on Facebook, but finally decided to for one reason. We still haven't gotten an acceptable answer. I'm so sick to my stomach over this, and I'm worried that there are a lot of parents that have no idea that this has been taking place in J. Middle School, 7th and 8th grade. If you are aware of the classes and the material being taught and you are okay with it, then good for you. That is completely your decision, and I respect that. Jake and I did not know, before I start, please let me... Let me get something straight. I'm taking my teacher's hat off for this post, even though it infuriates the teacher in me also. I am, after all, a mother first. So the following is a mama speaking and a very mad one at that. Like I said, Jake and I don't know, at least not until Wednesday, when our 12-year-old daughter called in tears, asked to be checked out. you just spend her third day in this class where boys and girls are combined And male and female instructors take turns teaching our kids about sex education. Obviously, sex education has taken a huge turn since I was in school. My daughter handed me a workbook, a workbook that she was supposed to be bringing home each night so the parents could continue the conversation about what was discussed in the class. She hadn't done that. In her shaky little voice, she said, I was too embarrassed. She begged me not to make her go back to this class. After opening the workbook, I understood why. I was appalled at what, was, what someone in our school system had deemed appropriate to talk to my child about. My 12-year-old child, in all caps, who still colors in coloring books. In a room where boys and girls are combined with male instructors and female, depending on the time of day, I guess, who are not teachers or nurses in our school system. Her father and I were, and I and still are, livid. Yes, Jake and I contacted the school immediately, the teacher and principal, the counselor, and the school nurse. We were told that pamphlets were sent home a week ago, letting parents know that they were going to be discussing sex education. We never saw a pamphlet. So we didn't have the opportunity to get her out of the class before I started. Signatures for permission were not required, but you could opt out depending on who you talked to because we got different answers on the permission part. This pamphlet that keep take, talking about tells a couple of things, mainly that we had educators and administrators in our school system that need to be educated on how to properly let parents know about such touchy and personal subjects. One, you simply do not trust a child to handle such an important subject. Two, we have an amazing thing in our school, it's called an all-call, where parents all receive a call to watch for important information. I had that with my kids in the 90s. Lastly, after visiting with some parents who do not see the pamphlets, we learned that those pamphlets did not do justice to what the fixing to be talking about in the class. They most certainly did not say, Hey, Mom, Dads, we're going to be teaching your very young sons and daughters about masturbating by themselves and mutual masturbation. Spend time talking about oral sex, anal sex, not to mention we're going to tell the boys that when they are going down on a girl and it looks like cauliflower, you need to just get up out of there. Yeah. That was an actual comment used during the class by a male instructor. This is not sex ed. That is degrading to little girls sitting in class, and it's teaching the boys sitting in class that it's okay to talk that way. Not acceptable, my friends. Absolutely not acceptable. Honestly, it's not acceptable talk ever. The teacher said it was board approved. The school counselor said it was board approved. The school nurse said it was board approved. The principal said he approved it, and there was nothing wrong with it. Well, Mr. Principal, sorry, but that's not your decision to make about my child. Feel free to make it about your own, but I'll be damned if I'm going to sit by quietly after you made the decision about what was appropriate sexual language to use around my child. What you approved allowed someone to assault my child's little mind and her innocence. The three board members we talked to took the time to listen to us, which we greatly appreciated, seemed genuinely appalled over the material language that was being used and also told us that this was not board approved. They promised to look into the situation, and I believe they will she closes with I realize not all children this age are innocent I realize the statistics in our county and our schools concerning teen pregnancy it's true, it's sad but this, this was not the way to go about fixing that problem this was an assault on my child's mind it is just not okay and all we are hearing are crickets Dana Loesch bunch of conservative figures all they could say is, oh my God, this is insane. It's insane. I can't believe how crazy the left has gone on Because remember, I want you to understand, when you break it down, talking about religion is inappropriate because that's my child, and only I can teach them those things. But we have Teen Vogue, We have all sorts of new magazines coming out all the time with the joys of anal sex. Lauren Duca wrote it. And this is about the third one we've covered in almost two years of doing a podcast about schools teaching kids about anal, oral, and mutual masturbation. Last time I checked, biology class, thus sex education, is to teach them the reproductive organs, and yes, talk about intercourse. There's nothing wrong with that. Some parents aren't going to do it. They're just not. We did it at six and seven years old, respectively. The moment they asked, I broke out a kid's book. I showed them. Daddy puts a penis here. They have sperm. It meets an egg. You have a baby. But at no time did I talk to my kids about going down on a girl and it looks like cauliflower, get the fuck out. Nor did I say, ram it in her ass. That, That wasn't a conversation. I guess the positive on this is liberals finally have attached the word sex to oral sex, because under Clinton, that wasn't classified as sex, was it? To our lighter fare. All right, this is a long podcast. I'm sorry, but the Kelly stuff kind of ran us over, but we'll get to a close now couple funny stories I ran into, once again, brought to you by... I should have done this as a Gigi's moment of zen, but it's super funny. She found these on Facebook. Why knit blankets when you can knit bits? Grandmother who loves nothing more than making quilted penises. Hollywood Stewart from Missouri likes knitting giant man-sized penises. The 59-year-old grandmother has put on an ex- exhibition of her artwork, she says. My favorite medium is cloth, and I frequently think about penises. This exhibition is part of Mrs. Stewart's MA thesis in fiber and surface design. Some of her giant members are more than five foot in length. And, of course, without fail, you know it has to do something with the patriarchy. Yeah. okay. Another one I found, and this was on Twitter, um, I found it today of all times, and I, I, I just can't believe this is actually true, I thought it was a joke, it was a link from a BBC article, do we discriminate against pets, and I guess, this is a real thing, but not for what the left wants it to be. Black dog syndrome. Why do people discriminate against dark pets? And this one was from Salon, which mimics the BBC. Now, there is a black dog syndrome. Black dog syndrome is for mostly... People are scared of big black dogs because of the stereotypes that are brought in the dogs by TV and movies and the fact that Rottweilers and Dobermans are badasses and when people train them wrong, they will eat your ass for lunch. But not to the left. Just when you were hoping there were no new ways to be racist, it turns out people may be racist against dogs. Black dog syndrome is a name shelter workers have given to the tendency of dark-furred pups to languish in kennels while their lighter-furred brethren get adopted. The effect is real, says Mariah Horowitz, executive director and founder of Lucky Dog Animal Rescue, recently had a litter of five very cute, very fluffy puppies, two yellow and three black. The yellow ones all went out immediately, but the black ones, it took weeks. Black dogs get euthanized at a higher rate. They linger at pounds. Blah, 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 blah. They found that three characteristics put a pet at risk of becoming one of these so-called hidden gems. Medium size, an age of two to three, and an ebony coat. What kind of nefarious psychological quirk would prevent someone from adopting a dog based on fur color? Animal welfare experts believe the discrimination arises from the pack of factors. The mythology around black dogs is grim. Yeah, that's like a Harry Potter. Blah, blah, blah. Revealed that people find images of black dogs scarier than yellow or brown dogs. Um, and while the association between obsidian and evil is more explicit for cats, dogs have to contend with cultural post Samuel Johnson and Winston Churchill that symbolizes depression as a coal-colored hound. Glamour shots of black animals are hard to imbue with the requisite sparkle. It's not all superstition, though. With the ascent of image-based sites like Petfinder and Pedago, much of the adoption process takes place, blah, 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 and they go down and they bring it out that it's simply racism. People don't like black because people hate black people. Some of the comments. Next up is racist, why the night sky looks black. <laughs> It's just so irrational that people would think the color of dog's fur has anything to do with its character, says Levy the photographer. The effect is baffling, somebody comments. Sweet God, people. It's not that. Some people don't want mean fucking dogs. When you go to a shelter, you're picking up a dog with all the traits that its previous odor owner imbued in it. I mean, come on, folks. Rottweilers are stigma in some circles. That's not black or white. That's just a fact. And if you train a dog to be mean as fuck, nobody wants to bring the mean dog in the house to eat fluffy. But no, no, no. We just covered that fucking pumpkin spice is racist. Well, God damn it, block dog syndrome is racist too. People don't get black dogs because they hate Obama. You fucking people. But... I got it on a really happy note. The better half also sent me this. It's not safe for work. This is real. This lady's from Australia, and she knits after she shoves the yarn in her vagina. If you take a good hard look at
14: a vulva, you realize it's just a bit of a body. There's nothing that is shocking or scary or nothing's going to run out and beat you up. My name's Casey Jenkins. I'm a performer craftivist from Melbourne and I'm up in Darwin doing a performance piece called Casting Off My Womb. I'm spending 28 days knitting from wool that I've inserted in my vagina. Every day I take a new Skein of wool that's been wound so that it will unravel from the centre and I stick it up inside me and then I pull out the thread and then knit. It's unusual and it's confining because I'm attached to this knitting so I can't sort of get off and wander around and so it really it's restrictive. But no, no, it's not painful. I mean people push babies out of there, so it's kind of, it's a pretty robust area. The piece for me is about assessing and I guess being intimate with my own body. I want to I guess not just walk off and become a a parent like a cultural lemming, I want to make an informed decision. The performance wouldn't be the performance if I were going to cut out my menstrual cycle from it. For starters, when I'm menstruating it makes knitting a hell of a lot harder because the wool is wet and so you have to kind of yank at it. It's sort of slightly uncomfortable sometimes, arousing sometimes. When I'm sitting in the gallery knitting I get a lot of the reaction is people say you're so brave, you're so brave and to me it feels just really natural and really uneventful which is sort of what I wanted it to be. I think the expectation when you're showing the vulva that people are going to feel feelings of fear and repulsion so by linking the vulva with something that people do find warm and fuzzy and benign and even boring, you know, just knitting for a long period of time, I hope that people question the fears and uh, um, negative associations they have with the vulva.
13: What the fuck? What the,
1: what, what, what? God, think of the poor kids. That's their aunt or some shit, and freaking they. She sent some knitted fucking caps. Here, your aunt gave you a new beanie from her vagina. Listen, I respect the vulva. I don't want you to shove yarn up your twat and then send me something you knitted. No, I like my wife's vagina. I wouldn't want her to knit something out of her vagina. And then give it to me now, man! It's a crazy goddamn world, just a crazy world. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments by email at foppodcast at gmail.com. dot FOP podcast at gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember, check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com, FOPpodcast.com. It's a theme. See links to feeds of the show, links to our Facebook page and email. There you'll see a link to every episode on the episode release page and our blog on the blog page, as I did the other day. Next podcast will probably be... Uh, the 30th, um, a long week off, I'll make it not three and a half hours long, try to shorten it, there's a lot of stuff happening, <clears throat> but I got a busy work week, and I got a weekend with the wife, we got a lot of shit to get done, We gotta make our traditional Christmas bread, finish decorating for Halloween, and spend some time together. Um, I wanted to also import to all of you, do not, I repeat, do not waste your money on Geostorm. Geostorm could be summed up like this. One part, twister, two parts, day after tomorrow, a dash of war games, and finished with a light glaze of any episode of Scooby-Doo you ever saw. It is fucking horrible. I waited through that yesterday. It hurt my spleen. It's the first end of the world movie that I've watched that I was so disappointed with. I wanted to get up and leave because it's very long, very painful. Very stupid, but you do see all the cool shit they have in the preview. The 85 tornadoes dropping at once and shit like that, but it's like you've seen it before and it was better before. Make sure as you finish out your work week, come home, shut off your devices, spend time with your family and those you love. Be safe out there and I will talk to you next week.